It's Friday, February 9th, 1990, and thank goodness it's TGIF. Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Danner. I'm here with my brother, Tim Danner. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, Tim, that, that that's one of the most simple and best trailers I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, God. Yeah. So for it's I'll, I'll say this. That was not a timely intro on my part in a sense. That is a very untimely one. But Mike, why don't you explain why the timing of that little interlude <laughs> works so well in our in our world? Why don't you why don't you start us off and and I'll take I'll, I'll jump in at some point. All right. So there's this movie. It's called The Room, and um, Mike and I and our brother Greg and quite a quite a number of of uh, people in the millennial generation, etc., are um, are very obsessed with this movie, which is known as the best bad movie of all time, and things like right. that. And and it's by this eccentric, crazy guy named Tommy Wiseau. It's his brainchild, and. Um, I I don't think we should try to even describe it. Like, there's no describing it. Go see it. It's called no. The Room. Watch it. Yeah. Then you'll understand. But where it comes up is uh, that movie came out, what, like 14 years ago now, I think? Yeah, 2002, I think. So 15 years ago. And um, it kind of, it happened, and people loved it, and loved it because it was so bad, and just loved it. And again, there's no describing this movie just watch it. But um, then a couple years ago, Greg Sestero, who is one of the stars of the movie, and um, he is a uh, an, an actor, kind of a, a bit actor, but also, strangely, Tommy Wiseau, the director's friend, in a very odd relationship. And he wrote this book, kind of a tell-all, about their friendship and about the making of The Room, and that book is called The Disaster Artist. James Franco and Seth Rogen... Um, and Dave Franco, I guess, is involved. Got Dave the, Franco plays plays Mark. Plays Greg Sestro, Mark. Yeah. Uh, they got the rights to it, and they have made and will release a movie called The Disaster Artist about <laughs> the life of Tommy Wiseau, the making of The Room. Mike, yeah. it's all you I, 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 I cannot wait to see this movie. I, I'm I'm very excited about this movie because it, it, it kind of feels like the, the Ed Wood for this generation, yeah. you know? That's really, and, that's great. That's such a good point. Yeah, and and the 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 creative team that they have that, that's working on this movie is, I think, the right creative team for this movie, you know? Wouldn't be the right team for every movie. But it, they they are uniquely qualified to to be doing this movie. Like they're all fans of this movie the way that the obsessed fans of the room are. You know, um, have known about this movie for a long time and are 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 very funny and are very willing to go to places that they go in in the book, The Disaster Artist, which Tim you've read as well, right? Yes, and yeah, it's it's 
amazing. It, it's ghostwritten. It's one of the best but, books. It's really one of the most entertaining reads you'll ever find. Yeah, like, and, and don't watch it until you've read The Room. Really, the takeaway here is go watch The Room. Stop listening to us. Find it on eBay. I yeah. don't know. Go watch it. Do it. And it's, it might be hard to find. You can get it for like nine bucks on Amazon. Sure so do yourself a favor. Buy, purchase The Room. <laughs> and believe us, it is bad. It's It's like seriously one of the worst movies that well even the disaster artist lays out just in detail how much it's one of the worst movies ever made but it's still so good it is so fun to watch just, and there are some real cringy moments but it, all in all it, it is just it's hard to find a better a, a more entertaining hour and a half I will go uh, go ahead and disagree. There's many, many ways I could I would rather spend that hour and a half, except strangely not. <laughs> that's that's where yeah that's where we that's where we differ. Strang- no, no, but strangely you're right. <laughs> it's like it's true. It's like think about all the things you could do for an hour and a half. There are many that are more enjoyable than watching the room, and yet the room is somehow still more enjoyable yet, than most of them. Yet we keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's just one of those things that you can't explain. So um, my, here's where I come down on it, is the, um, the Franco-Rogan pairing, in my estimation, did not work with the interview. It, and, it, and maybe it's just, it wasn't them. Maybe it was the way that movie played out. Um, Obviously, that was the movie where uh, James Franco plays this kind of ditzy Hollywood Tonight type host who um, does these kind of very fluffy interviews with people. And he is then commissioned by the FBI to go interview Kim Jong-un and assassinate him, basically, in North Korea. And turns out Kim Jong-un is a super um, fan of James Franco. I don't know. That, That movie didn't really work for me in the end. What about you? I have not seen it actually. Um, for some reason, I, I, I've I've always wanted to watch that movie out of principle, but I've never actually wanted to watch it. You yeah. know, like it it um because you know it, the for for those of you who don't remember, even for those of you who do, that movie had a very uh, explosive opening. Um, because it didn't open, it it ended up getting released directly to video. It created quite a stir, and it was around the same time that there was that cyber attack on Sony, right? Um, yeah. And Sony what was that? The, the, was that winter of 2012, 2013, something like that? Yeah, I think it was more recent than that. But I'm, yeah, it was 2014, 2014 maybe, maybe yeah. yeah. I remember it was Christmas. I remember we were home for Christmas. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. So I think that it, I don't know, reserve judgment on that movie. It's not a great movie. It, it definitely was more... Um, more worthy more weighty in the headlines than it was as a movie but i think you're absolutely right about the disaster artist um in my analogy would be just like picking jason siegel to do the muppets movie a few years ago who grew up loving the muppets who just jason siegel had the perfect um perspective and sensibility to make a fantastic muppets movie i think that Seth Rogen and James Franco are the perfect guys to make this. I agree. I agree. And and you know they, they, they've they've done some great things together. I think the movie This Is the End is one of the funniest movies um, in recent years. And most clever, like and the most kind of, I mean, 
it's the most meta comedy I've ever seen, for sure. And it's, it's definitely, it's maybe even one of the more meta, if you put it in the category of dramas, right? Like, yeah, the self, just the self-awareness of that movie is insane. It's like yeah. triple, triple, quadruple aware. It's know? really, it's really good. I love they make like a sequel to Pineapple Express and like there's just so many like things within a thing, you know. It it was Michael Sarah's best cameo and is now his second best cameo of all time. Yes. <laughs> uh, my dharma is the road. Your dharma. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he motions around himself. <laughs> Oh man, I would love to read the script on. Anyway, we digress, and it was less than ten minutes. Um, Michelle and I had a bet on how long it would take us to bring up either Trump or Twin Peaks first. <laughs> hey, I'm glad we brought we, up Twin yeah, Peaks. Yeah, me first. too. That's actually a step in the right direction. Um, and you know, yeah, and, but but on the subject of Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot. There's a lot that we could talk about like we haven't recorded this podcast in a few weeks now we, we ended up taking a week off it's been a month i um, think since we released it will, it will have been a month so yeah it's uh much has happened and um i don't know it's all noteworthy there's been a lot of ups and downs we've had a lot of yeah, we've had several moments of oh this is finally it and then mostly the slow hum of well it's not ever gonna end yeah, it really it really is. I think the best analogy is like we're on this roller coaster and and uh, it, we take a turn and go all up and down and around and around. Take take another turn. We think we're finished. Then we go down like another hill, you know, and then we're going up and around and we just don't know when this saga is going to end. I look at it more like a roller coaster that goes almost entirely down. Like 90 96% of the time, it's just you're going uh. down in in misery and then every once in a while you get this little hill there's never like a slow chugging hill it's more just like a little it's just a bump in the act it's just a bump in the action is all it ever is you put your hands up and you're like "Woo, don jr met with the russians and then it's like yeah he did uh, and he admitted it and nothing happened and then yeah man and trump had a an undocumented meeting with putin Woo! oh and it doesn't matter literally nothing matters to to quote um to quote michael Michael J. yeah you know, um, it is, it's very, it's very demoralizing and frustrating. Um, uh, thankfully, most of the craps, the crap that Trump ran on, he's not getting through, but plenty of stuff, plenty of negative stuff is happening in a very real way to a lot of people. Um, the Supreme Court just temporarily at least upheld the travel ban. So yeah, thank you, of, Neil Gorsuch. A bit of terrible news coming. Yeah, Neil Gorsuch. Hey, it's amazing how much less scrutiny Neil Gorsuch had to face than Merrick Garland. Almost as Dude, if this, the Republicans have, are the worst group of people on earth. Have we ever? Have we ever had this conservative of a Supreme Court? Like, what's the most um, conservative of a Supreme Court we've had? I don't know. I mean, it goes all, goes a long ways back. Uh, um, Marshall. How was John Marshall? What side John of the bench Marshall. did he sit on? Yeah, he was one of the first Supreme Court justices. I think he oversaw yeah. Mar- Marbury versus Madison. Wow. Which I might be wrong about that. Which was of course I have a, I have, a, I have this whole I have this thick book of every Supreme Court case ever from when I was in high school, so there'd be wow. some ones that aren't on there, but I, I should I should go reread that because 
I, I find that I find that stuff to be pretty interesting, though. And if it's from when you you were in high school, then it then it hasn't had Citizens United, and it hasn't had like the um, yeah the gay marriage case, and right a lot of other ones. Yeah, there's a lot a lot of a lot of them have happened since then. Yeah, I was just listening to this podcast. It was Bernie Sanders podcast interviewing um, Jane Mayer, who is, writes a lot about um, campaign finance reform. Uh-huh. And she was talking about, and I agree that, um, and and I bring this up because of Citizens United, um, that basically think of all the other problems that we have in contemporary American politics in contemporary America, and the very first thing that we should do is fix campaign finance, and after that, and, and not just campaign finance, but political action committees and donations and, and everything that goes along with it. Like yeah. once we get money out of the, the pockets of people in Washington, of people making our laws, then we can actually start fixing the other problems. Cause until that happens, which never will happen by the way, but until it does, yeah. we can't fix anything. Because how my, like w- my question is like with, with a, with a bench, this conservative and with citizens United as the law of the land, it, it's like, it's, it's very, it's going to be very hard to overcome that hurdle you yeah know? i don't do you see any like the republicans are so awful that they're all they're a caricature of awfulness right now there's no way they would ever vote against uh they would ever vote for campaign finance reform you know um no 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 yeah definitely because it, it 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 behooves them you know yeah there's i mean and democrats wouldn't either don't get me wrong but there are democrats who would vote against it and there are so few republicans who have any express any interest in even talking yeah. about it but um it helped because because that's the thing yeah you're right it does benefit both people uh lawmakers on both sides of the aisle it, it lines their pockets and it's there's there's just a lot of money involved you know yeah and the thing is like i don't it really bothers me when when conservatives think that we're just blaming them or republicans think that we're just blaming republicans it's like yeah no, we Look, Democrats have their uh, their hands are red too. It's not like yes. it's not like Washington is a one sided good versus evil thing. It's right. a bipartisan system in which both sides of that divide um, are guilty of keeping the system in in place and keeping people down. But Republicans in their current iteration are so much worse right now. It's like, how do people not see that, you know? Yeah, the thing that boggles my mind right now is how there are everyday people out there who think that Trump is doing a great job and think that their the part their party, the GOP, is as good as they've ever been, you know? It, when all the evidence suggests that Trump is the worst president that I think probably that we've ever seen as a country, I, I mean, think that no, I think that's going to be you know. yeah, that, that's going to that's going to be history to look on it. History, if the history books were written today, that's what the headline would be. That that's what the title would be. Worst. I mean, ever. he he's absolutely incompetent, and he is. I, I think right now it's fair for me to say. He's been colluding with Russia the whole fucking time. Um, you know, to your point about all of that being true and m- many of his supporters not caring or not thinking it's true, um, 
apparently there is a not insignificant percentage of Trump supporters who don't think that Donald Jr. was in attendance at that meeting with the Russian lawyer, et, et cetera. Even though he said that, even though he said that he was, even though you know, he literally I, himself verified said in so many words, I was at the meeting. Like that's a direct quote. I um I I saw somebody tweet like um. Don't worry, conservatives. We don't believe anything he says either. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that being um, like a Seven Up commercial or something. Yeah, no, but I, I mean, I, I think I think Don Jr. is going to be the first uh, one to fall. Um, and if he does, Manafort and Kushner won't be far behind because they were there. Yeah, but what if? What if? Like, which of these people do you think is working with immunity? You know, some of them probably are. Well, what do you mean? diplomatic like, or legal immunity um well like manafort there the, he is so dirty like he there's he uh something just came out that he was beholden 17 million dollars to russian interests before he joined the trump campaign like there is so much bad stuff out there on manafort i, I mean what if he he struck a deal and he'll give them whatever they want you know and by them, do you mean the Russians or do you mean Mueller and the U.S.? No, I mean the, the Senate Judiciary Committee. Oh, well, yeah, that would be great. Because um, they're going to be interviewed next week. I thought I thought that would be the case with Flynn, and that didn't Maybe. happen. Maybe. Why not, why not Manafort? It could be Manafort. I mean, it could be. Who knows? Any of these things could happen, and it still won't make a difference, likely, because, you know, uh, what's it going to take? My head hurts. This. What's it going to take to get this... It's going to take a lot. Like, that's basically what I've realized more and more. Like, it doesn't matter how much evidence there is. It's going to take a... It's going to take, like, the most epically damning piece of evidence to get Trump out of the White House immediately. You know, way more than what brought down Nixon. Like, it's it's going to have to be... I don't even know. Like, it is. Because, yeah, because Nixon... Like Nixon video, at least... Uh, stepped down because he knew that this would not be good for the country. There's no way Trump, his ego is oh, ever going to let him do that. Our latest hope is that whatever happened during that um, undocumented meeting with Putin leaks out and it's just like the most horrifyingly damning thing ever. So Yeah, you know, I mean, if there was some way to see every conversation that they've actually had, I, I think it would be just the 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 most damning thing ever it probably you know? is because putin's probably um recorded them to be able of to course keep and when and when trump trump when trump no longer is useful for putin disposes of you know so we were talking about the room trailer yeah anyway thank god for the room that's gonna be great thank god for twin peaks too that's getting me through it right now <laughs> so the trailer just came out yesterday that's why mike and i are talking about this because we watched the, the TV yeah trailer. and the, the trailer is brilliant there's oh, a scene so. in the movie well, well well there's a scene in the movie where uh uh tommy was who plays this character johnny um and i don't even need to do any context here i'm just gonna tell there, there he 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 walks into under the roof of an apartment building and he says and he's carrying a water bottle he's wearing a suit it's all rumpled throughout the whole movie it's rumpled he uh so he's carrying a water bottle comes flying through the door i did not hit her it's not true it's bullshit i did not hit her i did not and on that last line i did not he throws the water bottle on the ground then he looks up and he says oh hi mark <laughs> 
and it's 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 one of the fun it's it's one of the funniest scenes in movie history and, easily and the trailer well the book and now as you see in the trailer um explains the actual context of why the line came out sounding that way and it's amazing yeah it's a great trailer just watch the tra- trailer just watch the disaster artist new trailer and take, watch the room don't first. take our word for it check it out that's the thing watch the room i did that oh hi mark nice all right my favorite you're my favorite customer oh hi doggy <laughs> there's could quote the room for the next oh, three hours God, we so gotta we come could, up uh... with it if we could think of a room podcast title that's yeah. let's always think of the title and we thought of fire talk with me it was great and then somebody already had and that it. exists but yeah. if we could think of the room maybe there's not a room podcast out there yet uh maybe there's not i think with all that we we don't need to get into the nitty-gritty of politics or anything right now what do you say we 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 take a time machine back to a different time? Like 2016, around like November 11th, like that time? No, no, definitely not that time. No, that's the worst. How about November 8th? Um, no, even that. Even no, even November third. Let's not. Not even. Not even that. Day. Not even. Oh, let me also real quick interject before we go to this other time. Now that we do talk. Now that we're talking about November third. Now that Mike it, brought it, up the it, Cubs in a very oblique way. Yeah, th- these are strange times for a Cubs fan, my friend. It, for me, anyway, like as a, a liberal Cubs fan, um, it, the a uh, week or two ago, um, I, I get up. I I'm looking and on uh the news and i see that um no actually i go on twitter and i see that the 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 cubs are trending and i'm like oh no like this can't be good good. (laughs) yeah and i (laughs) and man was i right i i go to uh i go to cnn i think and uh the the cubs or at least 12 or so of them I just visited the White House, and there's a big picture of Trump's shit-eating grin, and you see Madden and Chris Bryan and Anthony Rizzo all with shit-eating grins on their face, giving Trump a 45 Cubs jersey, and it's like a it's like a uh, Cubs jersey, but it's like a camouflage jersey, and it looks really terrible. And like I feel just disgusted even talking about this right now. I feel like I feel like wow. I, I I you know after experiencing the World Series, I didn't think there'd be any like new feelings left as a Cubs fan. But this was one that will not be erased easily. <laughs> All right, I'm looking at a picture. So I see that there are these corresponding pictures. One is when they met with Obama. Yes, because and... that's the thing. They already met with Obama, but who owns the Cubs? But Tom Ricketts, who's a very unfortunately a big trump supporter and it's pretty obvious that there is like a deal struck you know i see lester rizzo and bryant were there others there too i mean i see a bunch there were 12 madden is there there's i think 12 cubs there a bunch a bunch of them didn't go um some of them uh addison russell is my favorite answer he said um i already met the president this year oh man boom a new favorite cub yes um also javier baez did not go Second um and several yeah. that are by far my least favorites now sorry chris bryant i know i i it really you know like what do they say don't meet your heroes there they'll just i mean they'll just go hang out with donald trump that's what that's exactly what the saying is said for a long time but <laughs> you know um i don't know it these are very sickening to look at i i will say um 
And second of Lee, I don't think it's a military jersey. I think it's gold. I think literally the Trump and the 45 on the back of that jersey, which are making me want to throw up right now, are written in gold coloring. Yeah, it's Obama it's did it's not need a gold color. He just needed a Cubs jersey with a 44 and Obama on the back, which is one of the best things you. I've ever seen in my life. Best things ever. It's it's great. It's great. Oh, um, Stephanie and I played Cubs Monopoly last night. Is Wrigley the boardwalk? No, uh, Ernie Banks is the boardwalk, and Sammy Sosa is the park place. Oh, they're Cubs and, players. Um, uh, yeah, and it's um, I've had this. Cubs Monopoly for like 10 years. Clearly, considering where Sammy's house is placed. Yeah, but I I haven't even opened it. Wow. And um, but then I opened it after the Cubs won the World Series, and then last night we played it for the very, very first time. Nice. And then today we went to the White House and visited Trump. No, no, no. That was like two weeks ago. I'm just I'm I'm trying to blame you. No, today today they just won their sixth in a row, so it's okay. They're redeeming themselves quickly. For those of you who care, which is some slash nobody they traded for um jose quintana from the white Sox, who's awesome that, that was a that was a excellent move i think yeah you know this is around the time of year last year that they picked up chapman so they're 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 this is making moves time yep and this is um when they had traded uh lester a few years ago yep before reacquiring him um, yep. In which, out of which they got Addison Russell, so that's a win-win overall. Yeah, a win-win, except the fact that John Lester had a big shit-eating grin on his face at the White House with Trump. So don't you hate it? Doesn't it just like tear a piece of your soul out looking okay. at that, those pictures? As we've talked about, Lester was the one I would have suspected as conservative anyway. So um, that I don't one, know. I think Madden might be too, to be honest. Uh, he doesn't seem like he seems like a liberal cool. I I know that. The only no. thing I'm basing that on is uh, last year he was doing an interview or. Year and a half ago, it was whatever. It's 2016. They're asking him about what he wa- like, what kind of sports he watches. And he says, "I don't watch sports. I watch, you know, I, I watch a lot of news. I watch Fox News and CNN stuff like that." And I was like, "Uh oh, why did you say Fox News first? I don't know. You <laughs> why did you say Fox News at all? I will say this on this very podcast, you have talked about the fact that you watch Fox News for, uh, you know, kind of opposition recon." So maybe yeah, that's but I, I very rarely do that. And I would never offer that in an interview as like the this is who I am portion, I you know, just, <laughs> I will just put out there that Joe Madden is the type of guy he he's not going to come at you straight. He, you know, his angle on any kind of comment like that won't be a straight shot. You know, like th- he's got well, some, he's got some motivation for saying such a thing. You know what I mean? Like, well, there's a picture. There's a picture with a series of shit eating grins that will say differently. That's. <laughs> You know, say that. Leave go, it that for let's now. go back where we have something to actually grin about. What do you say? I like it. Um, okay, so into the blue celebrity. Uh, All right. And put, and put on your birthday caps because in three, two, one. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to our brother Greg. Greg. You sing it. Yep, that, no, you don't sing it. Nope. Okay. Cool. What you said worked just fine. Happy birthday, right. Greg. You're five. Happy birthday, Greg. It's his fifth birthday today on February 9th, 1990. What do you think we um, what do you think Greg's fifth was like? Did we go to McDonald's? Was that when Greg got the blue hat? Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Did he get it? Probably around that did time. Did he get the blue hat for I thought Matt Greg. Busey gave him the blue hat. Yeah. Was it his first but his I th- birthday? I think it was probably around that time, yeah. Greg had this blue hat, little baseball cap, no no logo or anything on it. He just loved it. Wore that all wore it all the time. Wore it 
almost as much as Mike wears Cubs hats. Yeah, currently probably even more <laughs> modern day. Modern, um, modern day today. So, no. Today, yeah, uh, yeah. So I don't know. Um, probably had a few friends over. Maybe we did. We we did the Mc, McDonald's thing. Like maybe did we ever do that? I know. No, we I don't think friends, we ever did that as like for us. We but I, we went to a few of those. You know. I bet mom made Greg an awesome um, birthday cake. Uh, yeah, I'm sure she did. I bet she did. Yeah. When I remember uh, from one of our birthdays, I think it mm, might have been mine. I mean, I'm gonna say it was mine because I loved cars and stuff. Um, mm. Mom made these. Uh, it was like cars. Um, also, there was one with a train, I think, but the wheels were made out of cupcakes. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, that's a that's nice. That's great. That's best. cool. Thanks, mom. Thanks, mom. Thanks for the birthday stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this is a good February 9th then uh, already. Um, I think that, in fact, you know, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say we're, we're literally eating McDonald's at this point. And uh, where, where should we start today? What, what, what do you, you want to get into here? Um, you know what? Where, I, where I'd like to start kind of uh, throw, you, throw you a curveball the same way that John Lester throws one of those big uh, 12 to 6 curveballs to Donald Trump and lets him just smack it. You see the pic? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see the picture of Trump like cosplaying with the baseball bat? Yeah, that's all he does is play pretend. All right, moving on. All right, moving on. <laughs> it has everything plated in gold, like the numbers on the back of a jersey. But, yeah, mo- but moving on. Um, uh, but not on the subject of Trump, far, far away from him. On the subject of mom, um, she noted, she probably told you, we have a couple corrections to, to make note of from last yeah. episode. That Why don't we just get those uh, said and done before we move on? All right, yeah, go, go ahead and, and give, them, give them to us. Here. All right, correction number one. Michael Landon did not die of AIDS. Yeah, I didn't think so. I think, I, I thought I remembered it being cancer of some sort. But... Yeah, so I, I believe I thought he died of AIDS. Um, mea culpa. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Uh, he seems like he would have, <laughs> but, but no, yeah, no, it was. He was in the right era for it. Yeah. It was pancreatic cancer, and it metastasized into his liver and his lymph nodes. So, sorry. <laughs> pancreatic cancer is that's what Patrick Swayze went. Uh, oh man, and Steve Jobs. It's a bad one. Yeah, it's a, what is it like a ninety-five percent death rate? It's a, I think. Yeah, it's apparently one of the worst. Um, <sighs> so, uh, well, that's. Great, uh, great. Sorry, sorry about that, everybody, all around. Yeah. Sorry that that actually did happen to Michael Landon. Sorry that we, uh, just told everybody he died of AIDS. Yeah. Um, sorry to Steve Jobs, and sorry to Patrick Swayze. So, yeah. there's that. We had another correction too. What was the other one? Turns out, Phil Donahue is the polar opposite of a conservative. Yeah, we we already went over that. We did. Yeah, on, we did. On the podcast? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Yeah, we did. We talked about him being what we thought was a conservative, but I don't have we I, I promise, I promise we've already made this correction. Well, can I, I can I just follow up to that? Well, it'll take me sure. uh, 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. I listened to an on being podcast in which Krista Tippett interviewed um Phil Donahue, who is now 77 years old, and he is a uh-huh. fascinating guy. I would highly recommend nice. that podcast. All right, that's good to know. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. So. Wait to wait to wait to be Donahue. Wait to be. Way to go, Philly. Philly boy. He's from Dayton, Ohio. Hey. Wow. Hey. What else? What else? What can't he do? 
um, he, well, what he can do is incur the ire of 1967 conservative uh, daytime television talk show viewers because he interviewed an atheist and then a gay man. Is that right? Is that when he got his start, 1960s? Yeah. It's 67. He was groundbreaking. Like he's a, wow. fascinating. Yeah. Like his first guest was Madeline Murray O'Hare, who was that famous atheist who was murdered, actually. Um, oh, geez. Not interesting. until 1995. But in 1967, she was the very first guest on the Donahue show. Wow. So, and that did not go over well in 1967. And then he had this out gay man on his show. So wow. it's like, yeah, good for him. Good on you, Good Phil. for Donahue. Good for Donahue. Thanks, Phil. Sorry we called you a shitty conservative. <laughs> <laughs> no, just conservative, but... Yeah, it was we don't want to be redundant. It was implied. All right, so there's our, there's our one correction and then our actually redundant correction, but where are we now? Um, why don't we, why don't we, why don't we talk about the, the Billboard top songs of the week? Okay, good idea. Um, so there are some interesting things that have happened this week. Some pretty, um, impressive drops and a couple of, of gains. Uh, you want to go over the top five and I'll do six to ten? Sure. Uh, number one, we got a new number one. I have a feeling is going to be number one for a while. Um, this is Paula Abdul and the Wild Pair, Opposites Attract, which I know about because of uh, VH1 uh, a pop-up video yep. and also because of Family Guy, yep. <laughs> and and that's probably about it, that's but it's it. a, a very famous uh, song. I've, I think I remember seeing it. This would be odd if I saw the debut of it at the time because I was nine and not watching such things, but... I just have a feeling it debuted, uh, this can't be right now that we're looking at the timeline and stuff, probably, but that I saw the video after the Super Bowl. It was like, you know, it, it was just like a big time video and it was kind of groundbreaking or whatever. And I, I remember it being an event when that video came on, but I don't think wow. I would have watched it. I certainly don't think it would have made an impression on me such that I would remember it. Um, for any reason other than maybe that there was a cartoon cat and she was wearing um, parachute pants. Yeah, there's the cartoon cat. She's kind of talking about getting frisky with the cat. Um, um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So, but they're opposites, and you know what happens with opposites. Yeah, they're 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 opposite types of animals. Like she's a human and he's a cat. Is a cat the opposite <laughs> animal than a human? I guess. <laughs> yeah, because we have a face and they face they got like a lion's face yeah they have like the lion's face that's it we have people face they have lion face we're opposites opposite all right number two we've got two to make it right by seduction um which was number four last week this is a, a note here the female dance trio seduction used the chorus line from the famous rap song in their single two to make it right so we had been wondering for a while it was it takes two to make a thing go right and that actually no. is an existing song um a rap song by Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. And um, that, DJ Easy Rock's son, I guess, um, that song had existed before and they sampled it, did the seduction in their song, True to Make It Right. So, yes, they, yes, that reference is to this song, but no, it is not their original work in that reference. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, number three on the charts this week is Rod Stewart's Downtown Train. Played us out last Stay, time. I think, right? Staying steady. Yep. Staying yep. steady. Yep. Number three. Uh, number four is Janie's Got a Gun by Aerosmith. Um, I bet I, I'm gonna say I bet Janie's Got a Gun never made it to number one because there's some. I, I, I doubt if it toppled opposites there's attract. Some blockage here. Yeah, it might have made it to number two, but um, we'll see about that. Yeah, but it is rising. Um, and then Michael Bolton is falling because people are like, forget about Bolton. We got, uh, got a... Paul Abdul now. Bolton, you're so um, 80s. Hey, it's the 90s. Paul Abdul. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I wrote this song in the 80s. You're right. He talks like Tommy <laughs> Wiseau for some reason. And then he's, he also looks over at Abdul, but he's like, but so did she. <laughs> and she's like, uh, good thinking. Tough, baby. Um, it's the 90s. And those little shimmy. So that's. So that's number five. How am I supposed to live without you? And uh, Tim, let's let's go ahead and see what what's six through ten. Right, jumping up to number six from eleven last week is "What Kind of Man Would I Be" by Chicago, and then jumping up to number seven. How does that one go? It's like that's a good one, I think. What, what kind of man would I? Be? I don't think it's like that. It's like what kind of man would I be? You know, it's got like the Chicago what vibe kind to it. Of man would I be? Yeah. What anyway, what else? Kind of man. Oh, that else. <laughs> would I be? <laughs> um, number seven, jumping all the way up from number 13 last week, is Dangerous by Roxette. Okay. Get on the flow. <laughs> That's something. Not, not that one. Not, not, that, that. No. not, not, not at all. Um, one, two, three, four. Get your woman on the floor. Gotta gotta get up to get down. Gotta gotta get up yeah. to get down. You know that one? I do, but that, yeah, that was like 1996. Yeah, it was a long time from now. That was Coolio. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, number eight is falling a little bit. Num was number six last week is I Remember You by Skid Row. Which was one of the first songs that we played, played you out on. Yep. As you hopefully remember. And we, as always, remember you. Okay. I remember you. Still, even though I cut that track together in which that song played us out, couldn't tell you what it sounds like. Uh, all I think is, of course, Sarah McLaughlin still and always. Yeah. So number nine is a big jump from last week at 17. Now it's number nine, Escapade by Janet Jackson. That one's going to be hanging around in the top 10, I have a feeling. And then somehow their career has not been deterred just yet because the new number 10 this week is all or nothing by millie vanilli yes and it's about to be nothing for millie and vanilli <laughs> they thought it was all but it turned <laughs> out to be nothing after the break <laughs> yeah but is that the end of their story yes <laughs> <laughs> um okay. I, I mean it actually got a lot darker it's even very after. Sad. It got, one of millie vanilli is a tough band to make fun of because one of them did commit suicide several years later so i mean i, I feel like maybe maybe we should give millie vanilli a, a break so uh, that was the top 10 we have a few that yeah. have uh, i don't know we have a few that have fallen a bit this week um unfortunately and then some others that are on the rise so some so what are the big ones of note that that have been falling um let's see um well free falling yeah. is kind of falling in the charts that, that's right the now right there the, <laughs> had to had, had to do had it to um knock that one out of the park yeah won't, won't get to do that one in much longer um uh everything by jody watley is is dropping in the everything? charts 
All of her songs. Everything. Uh, every single one. Um, Pump Up the Jam, which was like at number two at one point, is now at number 19, so that's yep. falling. Yep, it peaked at two not too long ago. So yeah. the world was like, you know what? It is the 90s, and this is a 90s song, but sorry, Technotronic featuring Felly. Yeah. Um, Just a Friend, though, is climbing the charts at 29, which I think is the best that it does, yeah. maybe. It had, it had been 41 last week. I have a feeling Just a Friend is going to really rock it eventually. Um, okay. It's been on the charts for four weeks, although I think we did discover that it had slipped off of the charts for one week and then came back, so... Yeah, something happened. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, another day in paradise has slipped to number 33. Sadly. Um, yeah. And I won't. You know what? I'm not even gonna say whose song. Actually, no. It's rising. What's the number 32 song this week, Mike? The number 32 song is "Love Will Lead You Back" by Taylor Dane, the love of Tim's life, <laughs> love of one of our lives, and it was number 40 last week and is now number 32. So, is this this isn't the Taylor Dane song that had we had been talking about, right? No, there was another one. Yeah, I think this I think this is probably the last one. Well, though. you celebrate her entire catalog. What was the other one? I don't even remember, man. You, you honestly, you're probably more of a, a, a expert on the topic than I am. <laughs> I like, um, I like Hamlet, who is a Dane. That's true. You know, something's rotten in the state of Denmark, but I, I don't you know. And I like um, Jason Taylor, the former Dolphins and Patriots linebacker. Is that who we're talking about? Uh, yeah. He, he was a defensive true. end. I'm sorry. I'm apologies all around. All right. Uh, Moving on. Um, Again, what else is happening? Uh, um, Also rising a little bit is Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode. That one's going to get higher than 38, I have no doubt. mm -hmm. Although it's only, it's been on the week, uh, on the charts for 10 weeks. So, well, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, What else? Um, And then... Uh, we got Summer Rain by Belinda Carlisle, which is a song that I, I don't know of, but it's climbing the charts a little bit. It's the number 49 this week. It was 59 last week. Um, maybe you will know someday. Maybe. Um, and then we've got a, de- a debut this week. Uh, apparently, Linda Ronstadt and Aaron Neville yes. did a whole album because yes. All My Life, is, which is a song that I'm not familiar with, I don't think. Number 47 this week. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things where every song is named the same thing. I just think of Casey and JoJo. Right. Which maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get to eventually. I don't know if that was 90 song or not. but uh, Yeah, that was, was, that was like 90. 99. 90, 90. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so that was a very exciting news that even though um, Don't Know Much by Linda Ronstadt and Aaron Neville is dropping, it's now at number 34, uh, we get them back in our lives because... Um, Whatever this song is, All My Life, is now hopping up onto the charts. Number 47. Yeah. It's pretty good. Not bad. 47 on his first week? That's that's a decent move. That's a that's a power play if I've ever seen one, yeah. And if the board charts have ever seen one, that's why they called it that. <laughs> All right. Um, moving on. What, what say we talk about sports? Okay. Sports. <laughs> that was a Dougie Jones thing. Sports. Yes, yeah, sports. um okay okay, let let's then yes please what's going on in the sports world this week uh in the sports world this week on uh 
February 4th, which was, I think, Sunday or Monday. Um, this was Sunday, yeah. Yeah. Sunday the 4th. Uh, the St. Petersburg Pelicans beat the West Palm Beach Tropics 12-4 to to win the first Senior Professional Baseball Association Championship. So, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, Does that still so, happen? Uh, nope, it lasted one year. But ah. here's the thing, and do you want me to ruin your next birthday? Oh, no. Sure. The Senior Professional Baseball Association, referred to commonly as the Senior League, was a winter baseball league based in Florida for players aged 35 and over. Yeah, oof. So you're a senior, dude, next year. I'm already one. Uh. This league had guys like Raleigh Finger, Fingers and Ferguson Jenkins and Vita Blue, Dave Kingman, Earl Weaver, Dick Williams, Kurt Flood. Yeah, some big names. That were like 35. <laughs> no, I mean, they weren't 35. Well, no. these guys, I don't know. Let's see. Um... Raleigh Fingers was 44, so, I mean, not that old. Uh, I mean, Fergie Jenkins was, like, 50. Um, 46. For, no, 46. 48. He's 48. 40. So, yeah. There are 35-year-olds playing professional baseball, so, I mean, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next thing that happened, though, was on uh, Monday the 5th, and this is the day on which, in a very TV podcast-related sense, Notre Dame became the first team to sell its uh, its games, or I guess in this case just, no, yeah, I guess just a schedule of games to a major network, NBC, which still plays Notre Dame games. That's, uh, where, where did they play before that? Just on different, like, small networks? Well, I think it was, it, I think the deal was that it's um, different divisions that had games on networks. Like, that still is the case. SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Big Twelve, oh, Pac Twelve, but that Notre stuff. Dame's like, no, you can just have us. They're independent, so I don't know if they were independent them then or what. That would make sense, but they're not a part of any league, at least in football. Um, I believe they hmm. are in basketball, but in football, they're not part of any division or any league. So I don't think I knew that. Yeah, so they can do whatever they want, and and NBC plays all their games. They can do whatever they want. They can they can hire a Rudy if they want to. Whatever they want, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they can they can hire a Hobbit. They can hire yeah. a kid that uh, gets stuck underground and says it's their time up there, up there, down here. It's our time. Yep. It's our time down here. Yeah. And the rest, yeah. And the whole other one too. Yeah. Who was Rudy's brother? Huh. Is that somebody famous who played Rudy's brother? Uh, he gets blown up though at the beginning, I, though, right? I know. Well, it's not that close to the beginning, so. No, but John uh, John Favreau in one of his very first roles is in that movie. Yeah, forget the brother; he does get killed in the beginning. But yeah, John Favreau, amazing reference. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad to. I'm glad to recall that, because my John Favreau of recent memory is, of course, John Favreau from, um, the Pod Save America podcast. Oh right, 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 right. Yeah. Cool. Um, on February 6th, uh, the groundbreaking begins on the Baltimore Orioles' new $102 million stadium, which was eventually named Camden Yards. It opened on April 6th, 1992, which Tim, I shared a very random memory with Stephanie the other day that I, I don't quite remember, but I have this memory that we were in Baltimore. And we were going to go to an Orioles game, but it was sold out and we just sat in the parking lot for a few minutes and then went home. Yeah. 
what I think that memory is when we were in Toronto and we were going to go to the new Sky Dome. Um, let's see when that opened. Maybe not the new Could have sworn it was Baltimore yeah, Orioles. because so. I think you're right. That's because, okay, the Sky Dome opened in, it, it had to have opened further back than that. Plus, we didn't go to Toronto when we were kids. Yeah, we did. We went to Montreal. No, we went. Um, we went. We, we, me and you went to Toronto on our baseball no, road we, trip. That we, didn't we all go to Toronto? You, you no, no. Montreal, I oh, think. Don't ask me about to confirm these memories. Clearly, I'm way off. I thought we went to Toronto um, in 19 something, and we were going to go to the Roger or the, the Sky Dome to see the Blue Jays play. But may, yeah, you're right. It was to Baltimore to see the Orioles, and we didn't have I don't tickets. remember if it was before this or not or what. I, no, it, I think it was 92 because it was the opening year of Camden Yards, Yeah, and um, we couldn't get tickets because it Actually, this is interesting. Um, I just listened to a podcast. It was a 99% Invisible podcast, which talks yeah. about... Do you know that one? Yeah, I've listened uh, to a Roman few Mars. of those. Um, yeah. This one was about Camden Yards, and the whole point was how it... Um, sparked this new trend in ballparks looking throwback you know um rather than the big cookie cutter ones but right but the point was that over the course of like it's it sold out like 79 straight games or something like that so that's why we we couldn't go got it because we would have only been huh. a couple months after that it opened i think so yeah, yeah. that's that's awesome oh there you go thanks a lot Orioles for having such an awesome stadium that sold out. Yeah. I remember you. being kind of bummed, but then we got hamburgers. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, I didn't seem, I don't remember minding too much. I was like, I don't know. We're in Baltimore. Let's, go. let's not be in Baltimore anymore. Let's go. And then I think <laughs> we, uh, Dad wanted to get the money back from the parking attendant, but he wouldn't give us our money back. Oh. Pretty sure that happened. I don't remember that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so then on the 7th, which is Wednesday, this is incredible. Um, the, the person who became very famous college uh, and WNBA superstar, Lisa Leslie, at this time in 1990, was a high schooler at Morningside High School in Inglewood, California. She scored 101 points in the first half against South Torrance High School <laughs> and then decided not to play in the second half. And her team lost 102 to 24. Or one, I mean, sorry, one. Her team won 102 yeah. to 24. Seth Torrance decided not to play the second yeah, half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they lost 102 to 24. So I would have been, I would have been like, yeah, f fuck this. Yeah, they didn't. The, they basically mercy ruled. You know, it was the mercy rule. But that means that one of, like, somebody on Lisa Leslie's team got fouled, hit one free throw, and that was the only other point that her team scored in one half. Yeah, wow. That's just incredible. Oof. She was tall. I mean, I mean, an amazing. I just picture her being like a foot and a half taller than everybody else. Yeah, she was. The, she was like the only. I mean, she was. Everybody knew about her. Even not like we were fans of the WNBA, but we knew yeah. Lisa Leslie. She dunked. Remember that? She dunked in. The yeah, game. yeah. And she was a standout in college. I think. Did she go to? Where did she go? Tennessee? Or UConn? It was definitely either one of Tennessee or UConn. Um, oh, no. I'm quite wrong. She went to USC. But um, uh, but anyway, 
she that makes was, sense being from just down the street from Inglewood. Yeah, exactly. She was um, like clearly the best person on the court in college, and even in the WNBA, she was like you know the best. Could you imagine her playing against the high school girls? Oh yeah, but it was just embarrassing. Yeah, well it was clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Um. All right. What about births and deaths? So, um, why don't we go births and, de- births and deaths each day and lead up to Friday? So, starting on the fourth, in which they're on the on the fourth, which was the Sunday. Okay. No notable births, but there was a notable death. This was Whipper Billy Watson, Canadian American <laughs> wrestler and trainer, born 1915. All right. Look at the picture of this guy. Let's see what we got here. Quipper Billy Watson, William John Potts, by birth. Oh, yeah, there he is. There he is. Um, Whipper Billy. He looks like uh, Uncle Jack's character from Arrested Development, played by... Yeah, Marshall. yeah. That, I bet this could ease, this could definitely be who they base that character on. And also, on. I think his character was based on Jack LaLanne. Uh, yeah, Jack, that's right, Jack LaLanne. But, launch me! Launch me! <laughs> anyway, yeah, he was based on Jack LaLanne. But Whipper Billy Watson, tell me about this guy. Um, so Whipper Billy Watson is a Canadian American wrestler and trainer. Um, he's best, uh, he, he was a two time world heavyweight wrestling champion. And he, um, he's funny. He's kind of those, like what 19, uh, what family guy calls the 1950s in shape, out of shape guy. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Like sucking in his gut. He's got kind of big muscles, but he just looks kind of fat. Yeah. Like in the fifties, that was the whole thing of like, it's sort of the Don Draper body thing. Right. Yeah. Where, right. Where, except I think even fatter, like they were the supposedly the Hollywood uh, sex symbol men, you know, rock Hudson and whoever, I don't know if he was actually not fat, but, um, but that like, I don't know, Jimmy Cagney and Humphrey Bogart and those types of guys. Like, yeah, they just had, they were fat. <laughs> they had guts. Cary Grant kind of too, even. Did Cary Grant have a gut? Well, I mean, it's not like he was in shape or yeah, anything Yeah, they were just sort of like flab, right? Yeah. Kind of flabby. Well, right. no offense to you, Flipper Billy Watson. You, you clearly had your acts together. Yeah, it might be what they would call the, a dad bod today. Yeah, they, they would. <laughs> Which is one of the most annoyingly overused terms. Yes. Um, also, his signature move was the Irish whip, also called the hammer throw. A, nice. a move in which the wrestler grabs one of his or her opponent's arms and spins, swinging the opponent into an obstacle such as the ring ropes. Oh, that's a very like basic one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a good one, though. Also, this is. Did you watch? Uh, did you watch Twenty Seven Years from Now when this thing called Netflix ex- will exist? Um, did you watch that show Glow? No, not yet. I keep seeing. Oh, it. it's really good. We just finished it. Nice. It's really. It's definitely worth watching. Twenty Seven Years from Now, I did see um, a certain politician high in office retweet a gif of himself. Uh, body slamming somebody in a WWE performance uh, in which the logo for CNN was pasted over that other person's head. Who will vote for such a person? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but let's talk about uh, somebody who couldn't vote for that person because even though they were born this day, they were from Russia. Oh, wait. (laughs) 
They still nice. might have voted for him. And that would be Good one. on um, February 5th. Dmitry Andrekin was born. Andrekin! Sounds like, uh, you know, it's, uh, Street Fighter 2. I thought that's where you were going with that. Um, yeah. Hadouken, not the one. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that's right. There are all sorts of broadly stereotyped things. Yes. About a chess player from Russia. Yep. Uh, he's a Russian chess grandmaster world junior champ in 2010 and the Russian champ in 2012. All right. Not bad. I just heard another podcast um, with uh, Gary Kasparov. It was actually the audio of a TED Talk he did. Um, and Gary Kasparov was talking about losing to Deep Blue. The oh, yeah, the computer, chess. yeah. Yeah, and he was talking about like, He's like, nobody remembers that I won the first match, but then, oh, interesting. But then he lost the second, the rematch. And, um, but he's kind of talking about like, well, you know, AI could destroy the world. Um, but we should basically embrace the fact that we're, we're kind of coexisting with t technology becoming more and more intelligent. So yeah, we should not shy away from that, but actually learn to, to use that to our advantage and not let it get out of control. I'm pretty sure Elon Musk spoke about that the other day, too. Oh, cool. About AI and how we can't... Well, he, I think his view is a little darker. Oh, yeah. He thinks it's going to kill us. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, speaking of killing, but also life. <laughs> Whose soul was born into the new babe body... <laughs> the new babe? The... The newly born baby body of Dmitry Andrakin. Dmitry Andrakin was born from the uh, the the uh, soul of Jimmy Van Housen, the American pianist and composer. There you go. Who died on February fifth, and you know that 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 would that would make sense. They're similar skills, you know. <laughs> use their hands. Yep. Yep. And your brain. Use your mind. Hands and brain. Yeah. And mind. So it would totally make sense that Jimmy Van Huysen and Dimitri Andres and same dude. I'm with you All right. on that one. Um, oh, did you know that his name was Edward Chester Babcock originally? He began writing music in high school. He renamed himself at age 16 after the shirt makers Phillips Van Huysen, which you can find at really? Macy's and stuff, um, oh, wow. to use his on-air name during local shows. Huh. Okay. Okay. Very, very interesting move there, Jimmy, and it made you a lot of money. Yes. Um, okay. Born on the 8th, which was a Thursday, yep. February 8th, uh, was Clay Thompson, American professional basketball player. Do you know that much about Clay Thompson? Very much. He's uh, one of the Splash Brothers. He would have the most three-pointers in one single season in NBA history if it weren't for his teammate Steph Curry having done it twice. Um, the son of Michael Thompson, former NBA player um, uh, for the Lakers, and probable, I'd say, possible Hall of Famer. He's All right. A, he's well, a overshadowed by Steph, but you know, so so was DJ, right? Nice, good one, and yes. Yes. Oh no. Um, but they were all eclipsed by Michelle. Yeah, they were. In fact. Um. Okay, uh, who who allowed uh, Clay Thompson to be born into such a great <laughs> basketball player's body that day? Well, an interesting connection that 
Steph Curry, aforementioned, is the son of Del Curry, former NBA player, m- most notably Charlotte Hornet. Um, Del Shannon died on the day to uh, to pass on into Clay Thompson's body. And um, Del Shannon is the uh, singer-songwriter born 1934, best known for his hit in 1961, Runaway. That one is my run, 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 run away. Yep. Or was that 61, you said? Yeah. Okay. I love that song. Yeah, it's a good one. And as I still walk on, I wonder what went wrong with our love. Our love is right. so strong. All right. His, looks like someone voice, else. His voice was amazing. Do you know that? He's like, they're walking in the rain. Like the way he goes from that really deep baritone or yeah. whatever to like he just, the way that it, um, it just cracks when he hits that high note. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm a Del Shannon fan. What can I say? He's, yeah, he's a new you Taylor celebrate Dane. his whole catalog. I do. Um, hey, put Taylor Dane and Del Shannon in front of me. I think you know which direction I'm going to go in. <laughs> <laughs> don't know. I don't know, actually. <laughs> I don't, um, don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> um, okay, next up also, also died that day, is George uh, de Mistral. Sure. The Swiss engineer who invented Velcro... Died at age 83. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I had a teacher. I had a teacher in high school who always talked about how her husband invented Velcro. What? She was lying. What was her name? Hold on. Let me see what this guy's wife. Was her last name Demestral? Yeah. No, it wasn't. But um, what was her name? Her. She always husband invented Velcro. Okay. That's how she talked. (laughs) Oh. Wait, was it in Milford or Athens? Milford. Oh, I wouldn't know. Um, he was married uh, three times. To Jean Schneider in 1932, Monique, uh, Monique Pinchot de Bolton in 1949, and Helen Mary Dale. Final one. No. None of that? No. It's okay. Your teacher was a liar. <laughs> Maybe I'm just misremembering. Um, either way, <clears throat> he died. Um, well, you want to hear something cool? Yeah. The word Velcro is a portmanteau of the French words velour, which means velvet, and crochet, which means hook. I like that. Velvet hook. Velvet hook. Sounds like the name of a David Lynch movie. Yeah. That's cool. Thing in a David Lynch movie. Um, Okay. Well, okay. Enough enough of those other days this week. We're on to the most important day. Yeah, February 9th, as we already mentioned, uh, Gregory Thomas Danner is born five days before, the, uh, five years before this, but. Um, but nobody important died, like, yeah, I mean, nothing important happened on February 9th, 1990, in terms of births and deaths, but right. a lot of important stuff happened on February 9th, 1985, and because we're not able to discuss it um because we're now five years beyond we're going to go back in honor of our brother greg happy birthday to you greg but also talk mm-hmm. about the people who died on february 9th 1985 who might be the soul in which greg's body is now the vessel <laughs> all right let's see who we got here okay so number one we've got kiki Caminera. um who is a Mexican-born American undercover agent for the U.S. 
uh, DEA. He was abducted on February 7th, 1985, then tortured and murdered while on assignment in Mexico. Hmm. Greg does really enjoy yeah. Breaking Bad and, you know, drug movie, like, you know, kind of like anti-drug enforcement movies types of things. True. So True. Could be. Yeah. All right. Yep. We've also got Humphrey, Humphrey Trevelyan, a British diplomat and author. Okay. Who's a baron. Not a lot. He's a what? A baron. Like Trump. Baron Trump. Oh, he's a baron. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. We've got Garland Rourke, who is uh, best known for his nautical and adventure fiction. His first novel, Wake of the Red Witch, was a literary guild selection that was made into a John Wayne movie. Okay. And then finally, we've got Harry Perry, who, mm -hmm. whose name alone makes me want to vote for him. Um, an American cinematographer who was nominated for an American uh, for an Academy Award at the third Academy Awards for Best Cinematography in the film Hell's Angels. Hmm. He was 96 when he died. Okay. So we've got um, Enrique Kiki Caminera, who was an undercover drug agent who uh, was killed after two days two days of torture by Mexican captors. Um, yeah. We've got. Tough way to go. Yeah, that sucks. Um, we've got Humphrey Trevelyan, a baron from Britain. Uh, we got Garland Rourke, who was a uh, science, like a, an adventure and nautical fiction writer. And then we've got Harry Perry, an early American cinematographer. Okay. Who do you think is Greg? Uh, probably the cinematographer. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with the baron. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I think I think Greg is the embodiment of Baron Humphrey Trevelyan. Okay. You know, um, he was a diplomat. He wrote a book about his career called The India We Left. So he went to India and left. All right. Oh, All right. Yeah. Okay. So, I think that I think that's I think that'll do for that. That's fine. Um, that's that's great. <laughs> that's very fine. Um. Okay. Good. Moving on to, I think let's let's do the movies release this week. I think that'd be a fun one to to jump into. Great idea. Okay, so first up is a movie, uh, an action film called Hard to Kill, uh, which raked in just a little bit over forty-seven million dollars. Uh, it's with uh, Steven Steven Seagal and Kelly LeBrock and William Sadler. Ha have you seen this movie? No. I, Have you ever seen a Steven Seagal movie? No. <laughs> me neither. Maybe accidentally, or maybe like he was in a movie I've seen, but that was one that I just did not get on board with in, in the 80s or 90s or today. Yeah, no, me neither. It doesn't interest me too much. Yeah, he's just like, if you're going to watch an action movie, why are you going to waste it on Steven Seagal, you know? Right. Like, he's just so boring. I don't think he has any charisma. No, I don't think so either. He's no, he's certainly no uh, John McClane, you know. Of course not. Of, of course not. Nobody is. But this <laughs> is a super '90s cover. It's like exactly what you'd picture. Because I'd heard of this movie before, and yeah, this was kind of his heyday too. Oh yeah. He, uh, this apparently he burst onto the scene in 1988 with the movie Above the Law. Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, but see, that's the other thing about Stephen Seagal. Above the Law, hard to kill. 
Like yeah. they just have these generic, terrible '90s action movie titles, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, Under Siege, On Deadly Ground, like every single one of them are terrible. Yeah. Uh, what else is it? Contracts to um, Kill, A Good Man, Force of Execution. Yeah. Has he ever yeah. had a movie that had like an original title? Mm-mm. Oh, he's in The Patriot. Is that the Mel Gibson Patriot? No, it's not the Mel Gibson Patriot. It's the Steven Seagal Patriot. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I remember. I remember that being uh, a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah. Um, the font of hard to kill, like the kill is in these like bold red, like kind of spray paint letters. Yeah. It's as cheesy as you'd imagine. Yeah. The next movie that we're we're going to talk about is the least well-performing one of this week, also known as the worst-performing one of this week. Um, yeah. It's the, a horror movie called The Hunting of Morella. A witch is put to death in colonial America, leaving her husband and infant daughter behind. 17 years later, their daughter has grown up and stands to inherit money set up by her mother's family. Now that the stage is set... The mother wants to return to life by taking over her daughter's body. Sounds cool. Oh, yeah, sure. Based on an Edgar Allan Poe story. Um, that that's actually makes this more interesting in my mind. Hmm. Uh, uh, Nicole Eggert plays Morella and Lenora. Mm-hmm. Lana Clarkson is somebody in it. Um... Now I kind of want to read the Edgar Allan Poe story and in, in the place of watching this movie. Yeah, that's true. It's even billed on the cover of the DVD or of the tape or whatever on the poster as Edgar, Allen's, Edgar Allan Poe's The Hunting of Morella. Yeah, and Edgar Allan Poe rolls over in his grave. He's like, leave me out of this. <laughs> I like Lana Clarkson and all, but I'm, I'm, he's like, I'm uh, happier here with my Annabelle Lee. Yeah, he's like he's I had very I had very little to do with this movie. <laughs> he's like, yeah, like I um I died on a street in Baltimore in the eighteen hundreds. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know that whole story, right? Um, no, I don't know the whole story. Well, he yeah, it's it's not worth it. There's some interesting there's something interesting afoot with the suspicious death of Edgar Allan Poe. Let's just okay. say that. Okay. What else we got? Uh, the next one is a movie called Loose Cannons, which is a comedy. Have you seen Loose Cannons? No, but it's uh, it's actually really funny the way, you know, who's in it, what it's about, the way that it's laid out. The, this feels like exactly that one from a while ago with the, like, he's a goofball cop. He's like a, he's a straight and narrow cop. You know, what was, yeah. what was that one that we had looked at? Because the cover is almost exactly the same. Do you recall that one? Yeah, that, I don't know. It was from, something from 1989. It was a while ago. Yeah. But this one uh, is Gene Hackman and Dan Aykroyd. Yep. One is an unconventional cop who doesn't take any bull, and he's paired up with an amazing detective to capture some po- powerful criminals. But the cop soon realizes that his by-the-book partner has split personality disorder. I'm a little confused hmm. about who's who in this situation. But hey, it's directed by Bob Clark. Okay. He's, who uh, directed... Uh, story. Porky's and a Christmas story, yeah. True. Um, but what's going on here? Who's the... Because we already have the unconventional cop 
who doesn't take any bull paired up with the amazing detective. But then you've got the cop, the un, uh, the uh, unconventional cop who doesn't take any bull has a split personality disorder. So who does he become? Like, what is the third personality in this in this relationship? You know. No, the unconventional cop doesn't have the personality disorder. It's the detective that does. Right. Um, but what is the... Okay. What's his other character in that? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he's quote-unquote an amazing detective. So we've got that going on. The by-the-book cop. No, actually, the partner was by-the-book. I don't know. This is a confusing movie. <laughs> I've given up. I'm trying. What do you think? This is one of those that George Sr. did coverage on, and he just didn't really leave any notes. He's just like, it'll be fine. <laughs> Dom DeLuise is in it, of course. <laughs> All right. Nancy Travis yeah. is in it. Who's Nancy Travis? Nancy Travis is, uh, she was actually in, uh, Ken Levine and David Isaacs had a, a sitcom called Almost Perfect, and she was a star of that. Oh, okay. And she was also on some other this sitcom. She's in How I Met Your Mother, Last Man Standing. Oh. Yeah, she's on Last Man Standing. Oh, God, she was on Becker. So let me tell you about Last Man Standing. Oh, God. We don't have to get into it. No, but we do. <laughs> so Tim Allen, it turns out, is... Um, what what a surprise! A guy who plays a um, crotchety old Michigan-based uh, mechanic is a conservative guy. Who would have thought, yeah. right? Um, and then uh, real life Tim Allen, it, it kind of sucks. Uh, but he also inexplicably has had this show called Last Man Standing that's been on the air since two thousand and eleven. And yep. no idea. Anyway, Nancy Travis plays his wife on that. Well, I just happened. I've seen to, a few episodes. <clears throat> I caught one or part of one before I had to stop watching. Um, I was in a hotel room, and th the only reason I was watching this is just, you know, when you're in a hotel, you flip through the channels. And this came on, and it was from during the campaign of last year. So it was like it aired right before the election. And yeah. it was like he, he has a, I don't know the exact setup, but like, they have two daughters, or he has a daughter from a previous marriage, and the wife has. No, a they daughter. have. They have, I think, either two or three daughters, and then one of the daughters has a kid too. Okay, that's it. Well, the daughters are very different, and one is like, um, she's a reader and she's smart, and then the other one is kind of like more, more like cutting edge and and alternative and, and whatever. Anyway, Tim Allen, of course, can't imagine anyone voting for Hillary, and the wife can't imagine anyone voting for Trump. And the daughters each share one one side of the divide or the other. And it was supposed to be this, like, oh, we're going to broach the subject of the hot topic politics in America right now. And we're going to, you know, it's a gendered gap thing and all this other stuff. But it just turned out to be the clunkiest, dumbest, like, most ham-handed attempt to discuss politics on any yeah, TV show I've ever seen. That, sh that show often talks about po politics. I remember in the 2012 um uh election they've had a few episodes about about that and stuff and uh yeah i mean I, I disagree with tim allen's politics most pretty much up and down but i i think that he also makes he does make some good points about liberals at the same time um 
while also making some very broad generalizations. Like I, he, there was this one time he was like, you know, I was in the writer's room with, with these women for uh, Last Man Standing, and um, uh, I was with with like six six women, and they were all talking about voting for Hillary, and because they said that they have to vote for her because she's a woman. And I said, well, if Sarah Palin ran, would you vote for her because she's a woman? And they all kind of just held their noses and said yes. And I was like, what what humans are you describing? Like, that doesn't... No, they these didn't. don't sound like people that I've ever heard of. They did know? not say yes. That, they were no, there's people. no way. Plus, plus, like, that's the other thing, is it's such a fallacy. It's like, I've never heard anyone say they're voting for Hillary because she's a woman, you know? Like, does that factor into the, their decision? I'm sure, yeah, a lot of people's it did, but like, come on, like that, that. I don't know. I just feel like that is just a very like he took a very complex thing, m- made a sound bite out of it that doesn't even sound like it's a true story because yeah. I can't imagine anybody holding that opinion. He's lying, and, or he's not talking about liberal women because no, yeah, actual liberal. So, women would say that, so. is there plenty of liberal hypocrisy? Yes. Is that Tim Allen story bullshit? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and we can disagree that uh, Home Improvement was a, was a really funny show, but Tim Allen is kind of the worst. Uh, as Larry King would say, uh. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last movie of the week is Stanley and Iris. All right. In which a struggling widow falls in love with an illiterate short order cook, whom she teaches to read and write in her kitchen each night. Directed by Martin Ritt. Jane Fonda and Robert De Niro. Written by Mark, Martin Gurr. Just kidding. Um, and also starring Swoozie Kurtz, who's one of those mm-hmm. names. Yeah. Like that is one of those names. 90s movies. And Martha Plimpton, who's another very much one of those names for 80s and 90s movies. As we know. Uh, yeah, Martha Plimpton well. from... Uh, 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 the Goonies, right? Yep, which we had just been talking about not too long ago. Yeah, she's uh, she's kind of pretty when her face isn't screwing it up. <laughs> yeah. And other other lines by Casanova, uh, Corey Feldman. <laughs> yes. Who went on to have a an illustrious career? Um. Yeah. All right. So, anything about Stanley and Iris? Eh. On your <laughs> eh. <laughs> I think we could we could have a like we could just have a soundbite of Larry King apparently going eh, and just make that like the response to half of the things we talk about. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's the way we could get out of any conversation we we don't want to be part of. Just be like, or any topic. Well, hey, Mike, anything else to say about that? <laughs> there was this one. Uh, because I, I like to watch Larry King sometimes, some of his shows, even though it's run by the Russian television channel, which makes me feel very strange. But he's very critical of Trump. So um, there, there's this one, though, that we were watching the other like a couple months ago. And somebody was like, Larry, I just need I just want to say that like that you're you've been an inspiration for me to get into journalism and all this other stuff. And they gave him like this really long compliment. And he was kind of just like, eh. and then he just like moved on with the conversation. <laughs> That's <laughs> You gotta love Larry King, yeah. And, and still, so did all nine it. of his wives. Is that right? Nine? That joke? I don't know. It's some. Um, it's many. Uh, 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 I like this new device though. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's a good one. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven wives. <laughs>
Seven li- seven wives or seven lives of Larry King. But the latest Shauna Sean, um, Sean King. That's kind of funny. Um, he's been married to since 1997, so it's going strong. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, not to be confused with uh, the um, black rights activist Sean King. Right. Larry King is not married to that Sean King. No. Um, and we're moving on. How about some news? What's what's the yeah, good let's news get it. of this week? Um. Well, uh, the 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 good news of the year so far is um on February 9th, Greg's birthday again. Uh, the South African president, F.W. de Klerk, who we have now talked about several times, um, announces that Nelson Mandela will be freed on February 11th. Some quick turnaround time. Very. Yeah, a couple of days. That, we just talked Sunday. about that. Yeah. I wonder why Sunday. That's an interesting. I mean, maybe it just was neither here nor there, but maybe it's just, you know, let's get him out of God. It's God's day. But, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so... That is great news. Um, I thought you were going to say that the great news is that you were just going to stop after saying Gregory Thomas Danner was born. It's like, of course, the great uh, news of 1990 is that, but he wasn't born. He was just five. That's he just had a birthday, so it was good news, but you know. Five is a nothing birthday. It's not like a 13th birthday, right? Right. Oh, nice. Mm. Oh, man, we got some things to talk about there. Oh, just wait. We got a little teaser. It's a great Full House episode. Can't wait to talk about yeah. it. Um, um, okay, so what about that, uh, that February the, 8th? That is the great news. Why don't we... There, there's only one other piece of something that could even be considered... Well, no. We'll, we'll just go back to the beginning. On Sunday, there's something that could unequivocally be considered bad news. And that, yeah. that was that a bus carrying um, Israeli tourists in Egypt was attacked and nine Israelis were killed. 16 were wounded. Uh, and this was carried out by the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Yeah. Do, do you do you know what they ended up? Did they end up morphing into anything that exists today? I don't know. Hmm. Um, that is a great question that I have not done the research on. We can figure that one out. Yeah. Along the way, we can. You know what? If that's something that uh, is going to be relevant for later discussions then yeah. it will we'll, it will we'll come it to us yes the truth will out yep um about the palestinian islamic jihad yeah that's a terrible story that that story is uh on sunday the fourth on tuesday the sixth we're gonna we're gonna brighten the mood with a little bit of a a little bit of lighter fare what do you say yeah and on a lighter note yeah <laughs> um what uh what local Las Vegas news should we talk about now? Holly, roll the dice. <laughs> in local news, insurance salesman Douglas Jones. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So what happened on Tuesdays, Tuesday the 6th? Um, you've got a guy named Steve Breyers of Wales, and he recited the entire lyrics of Queen's album, A Night at the Opera, in 9 minutes and 58.44 seconds backwards. Pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's incredibly <laughs> impressive, and I, I just wonder why. But 
why do they get down to the one hundredths of a second? My point four. Uh, it could it could it could come down to that if someone ever tries to top it. Yeah, what if somebody had done it in point four five? And they were like, No Yeah. I thought it would be forever. Or what if somebody had done it in point four three and this guy missed it by one one hundredth hundredth of a second? Yeah. But no, neither is the case. He he broke the record. He did it. Yeah. I don't think anyone I don't think he had much competition to be honest. Yeah, I don't think that it, I don't think it was a record. I don't think that it is a record. <laughs> I think it's I don't the think that just, only recorded instance of that happening. Yeah. It's not just like doing something does not make it a record. <laughs> Yeah. Just the only time of having done something does not mean that you've set some kind of record. Right. Yeah. This is a big case of that. But still, impressive nonetheless. A little bit bigger of a story happened on the following day, Wednesday the 7th. Uh, the Central Committee of the Soviet Communist Party agrees to give up its monopoly on power, um, basically contributing towards a dissolution of the Soviet Union. Yeah. So we're starting to, to see a lot of those... Um, those bricks falling in what would soon become the former USSR. And today was a huge one on the yeah. 7th um, because no longer having a, monop an, a monopoly on power, I'm not sure exactly of, of the details of how that went down with, uh, with Gorbachev, but basically right. they're ceding power over um, mm -hmm. to non-communists to, to non-Soviets, right? Right. To basically a democratic election. Exactly. So. You know, I, I've noticed uh, lately that in 2017, peeking my head out of the window here for a second, um, a lot of people talk about Gorbachev now as if he was like Reagan's whipping boy or something, which couldn't be further from the truth. You know, like I, it, we, we've talked about how that story has become um, Americanized and and everything. And I, I, ever since we've talked about that, I have noticed that a lot. Like people make jokes about it on Twitter and people just like take for granted that Mikhail Gor Gorbachev was instrumental in the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And it, were it not for him, it wouldn't have happened at all. Like Reagan helped, you know. That I I have not seen that. That's really interesting, though. Um, maybe it's just kind of projection and backlash at how much Trump is Putin's whipping boy now, and they're trying to. Say I think that. it's just, no. I think it's just like nationalistic projection. It's just uh, an Americanization of history. Hmm. But what's the context? Why is that relevant these days? Why is that a mm, ongoing people... conversation? People bring it up like I, I, here's an here's an example. I saw the other day someone make a joke about um, uh, Donald Trump saying like um, that he was gonna, that Putin was going to help him come up with an anti fraud commission or whatever you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then someone compared that to that. That would be like Reagan joining forces with Mikhail Gorbachev to have an anti-wall something 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 it's like no that's that's exactly what happened oh, yeah. it's like yeah. <laughs> not to say it's not a comparison like, at all yeah that did happen because Gorbachev and like and then too. um and then uh, and then another example is like a couple months ago on Bill Maher which I actually don't watch anymore ever since have we talked about that at all um oh we did not talk about Bill Maher you want to save that for a time where 
Yeah, we'll save that for another time, but I we'll, we'll get back to that. But I yeah, I haven't been to watching talk to Bill Maher. Just even. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But um, uh, Killer Mike was on uh, Bill Maher, and he was talking, and he was like, "Yeah, like how." Uh, Reagan basically WWE body slam Mikhail Gorbachev tear down that wall and it's like no 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 again it's not not how it went down you know like misremembering history yeah well there's a lot of that that's why we're here we're here to help everyone remember history the way that it happened and yes and which is what we look up on Wikipedia (laughs) (laughs) history at its core at its at its core, yeah. At its uh, least uh, distilled form, us talking, yeah. us basically rereading Wikipedia articles. <laughs> um, well, okay, so we're gonna reread a, um, actually, part of an interview for this next one because on Thursday the eighth, sixty minutes commentator Andy Rooney was suspended by CBS for racial remarks attributed to him by a gay magazine and so what did he say what's interesting is that at another time he also had anti-gay remarks so we'll get to that too Uh, oh wow yeah um but in the advocate magazine he was quoted here's the first quote this is the racist stuff i've believed all along that most people are born with equal intelligence but blacks have watered down their genes because the less intelligent ones are the ones that have the most children they drop out of school early, do drugs, and get pregnant. Aha, jeez. Yeah. So Yikes. he said that. He's an old old racist white man. So Old crotchety racist guy. Yeah, I mean, no surprise that that's kind of where he was coming from on that. But then the second thing he said was um, something anti-gay. Um, I guess... During a television special in the previous December, a couple months ago, 89, he said, There was some recognition in 1989 of the fact that many of the ills which kill us are self-induced. Too much alcohol, too much food, drugs, homosexual unions, cigarettes. They're all known to lead quite often to premature death. (laughs) Someone's like, wait, what was that one? Uh, Cigarettes? uh, cigarettes? No, no, before that. uh, Drugs? uh, drugs? (laughs) Yeah. That almost sounds like a like he was saying it in jest, but I don't think so. No. Nope. All right. That's Rooney being Rooney. Rooney being Rooney, right there. Um. Okay. Cool. Um. Cool. I guess that's a- it for Andy Rooney's a racist, and so is Mickey Rooney. <laughs> if you've ever watched um, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Well, yeah, he is, but I mean, he he just got cast in a role. It's the Man, he could have turned down the role. Of course. Right. Yeah. Hey. You know, even in Hollywood, people can still take a stand. Look at Tim Allen. <laughs> he's he's uh, speaking truth to power, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, against all those liberal uh, feminists who are voting for Sarah Palin, because they have to. Yeah, that I, I still that like that story just rings so far. Um, you know, I think it's time for a commercial break. What do you think? I like that idea. Okay. So, uh, here's a commercial from 1990. Enjoy it! It's time to do the butcher! Bunny yummy! Bunny yummy! Okay, Disney like one bunny surprise coming up! Oh no! Yes, it's Tiny Tina Adventures starring Buster Bunny! Talk to me, I'm all here! 
And Bob's Bunny. Are you my special friend? Totally. And the real star, the stupendous Lucky Duck. Hey, don't forget Hampton. Hey, yummy. Get the hook. Uh-oh. Tiny Toons and Talking Tiny Toons sold separately from Play School. And we're back. I enjoyed that commercial very much. Did, was it because I told you to, or you just did anyway? Hmm, I don't know. That whole nature-nurture debate. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those Aesop's fables. Yeah. Um, alrighty then. Um, okay, so before we get into TGIF, let's uh, talk about our customary also on TV that week. Um, let me start us off here, Tim. Uh, if I may. You, you please do. Very much. Okay. On Sunday, February 4th, 1990, um, uh, The Simpsons, Season 1, Episode 5, Bart the General, aired. Uh, in this episode, after being beaten up by Nelson Muntz one too many times, Bart turns to Grandpa Simpson for help and soon leads a rebellion against the school bully. Um, there's a, a lot of fun facts about this episode, or a few anyway. Do you, I don't even remember this one. No, it's funny because I guess I never really watched uh, season one Simpsons when they come on. Like basically, it's season two and and later. You know, you kind of you see that it's kind of found its voice. Yeah, you, it's season one. You see on the rerun, and you just like you know skip it usually. Right. So I don't remember this one. I'm sure I've seen it. Yeah. Um, what are some of the fun facts about it? Some fun facts. Uh, David Silverman was the director and was somewhat stressed because he was doing storyboards for this episode while also directing The Simpsons' Bart the Genius, which was in a later episode. Um, oh, it introduced uh, a few characters. Uh, yeah. Um, there's also no sofa gag and no Bart se sentence in this one. Huh. I think that maybe started later. I'm not sure. Yeah, when and this... This is a good fact. This is the first episode that John Schwartzwelder wrote. He has written more Simpsons episodes than anyone in Simpsons history. Hmm. Well, he was on his first step to the next day of his life or whatever. Yep. Um, and th but this is also the first appearance of Nelson Muntz and Janie Powell. And we, it's a proper introduction for Lewis, Milhouse, and Grandpa Simpson. Awesome. That's It's just so crazy to think about how early this was that these just fully ingrained characters you know let alone because when you think about the simpsons wasn't on the air and now it was like that kind of makes sense it's like oh yeah of course it, you know we grew up for a few years where the simpsons didn't exist and then it did and now it has ever since yeah but then right. that's almost thinking about it theoretically but then you're like oh yeah like the simpsons existed but millhouse didn't yet and now he yeah does. yeah and grandpa right. hadn't been around for the previous yeah year. Right. Because this is episode... Five. Five, yeah. So there were four Simpsons where Milhouse didn't exist. Well, he existed maybe, but not, he wasn't properly introduced until this episode. Right, that's true. Yeah, so Nelson hadn't existed, neither had Janie. Uh, right. But um, he might have been on the air. Anyway, yeah. Um. All right, what else? What uh, that, I think that's that's good for that. What, what else came out this week? On Monday the 5th... Um, a show we have not talked about yet, I don't think, but it's right in the wheelhouse so either, of yeah. many shows that we have been talking about. Season 1, Episode 17 of Major Dad. This episode is called Major Coach, in which McGillis coaches a group of 10-year-old girls in Robin's basketball team. Um, 
I wonder if Lisa Leslie was on this team. Yeah. Um, to finally have a shot at winning a game. Maybe because they'd been playing Lisa Leslie's team. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. uh, Robin's inability to take any of it seriously causes her and McGillis to butt heads. Fun fact, the end credits music for this episode is the well-known instrumental popularized as a theme music for the Harlem Globetrotters. It's called Sweet Georgia Brown. Yeah, that one. Um, cool. Nice. What, what, are your, um, what are your memories of uh, Major Dad? I, I never really... I don't know if I've ever seen an episode. Um, I, I mean, I remember the commercials for it, mostly. Um, I remember the guy. His, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember the... Yeah. But I don't remember anyone else in it. Um... Shannon yeah, I remember this show. This show existed, and I just never had any desire to watch it. Yeah, yeah, it, it, but it's sort of like my two dads kind of thing, you know. Yeah, I, but I did also. often have a desire to watch that show, and I don't know why I wanted to watch that and not this, but yeah, you know. Also, uh, yeah, I mean, just the ten of us. That's another one that um, I, I I remember actually seeing and liking when when we were younger, you know. Oh, holy but this the. Oh, yeah, go ahead. But yeah, this is just not one of those shows. You've watched House of Cards, right? Yeah. Major Dad, the guy who plays Major Dad, is Raymond Tusk in House of oh, Cards. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's I crazy. can see that. Yeah. He plays a uh, conservative in, in uh, Major Dad. Um, As the major? Yeah. yeah. I'm not too surprised by that. He seemed like a pretty conservative dude. He definitely yeah. would have voted for Trump. Yeah, and his, and his wife is a liberal, so there's a lot of like political oh, stuff in the show. It's a real last man standing type of show. Huh? <clears throat> it's it's a real uh, um, family ties kind of. Who uh, who was the conservative of that couple? Alex Alex. Well, not in the couple, oh, but yeah. the Alex P. Michael J. Fox. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, all right, and then on Wednesday, what do we got? Wednesday, uh, February seventh, nineteen ninety. We have an episode of Quantum Leap. Which is a great show. I uh, love that show. Um, season 2, episode 15, called Her Charm, September 26, 1973. Which is a great thing. Like, each each of those episodes took place. Like, they had a date at the end, you know? It's like us. Uh, just like We're us. We're kind of like a little quantum leap every week. We are. Every week of the Actually, night. aren't we? We are. Um, in, this, in this episode, as an FBI agent, Sam has to protect a female witness when the people after her seem to know his every step. Here's a goof, though. Uh, the episode takes place in 1973, but the characters' clothing and hairstyles do not reflect the era and are closer to the styles when the episode was filmed. Oh, How embarrassing, Quantum yeah. Leap. You just got called out. Wow. Um, that's cool. I'm sure that was often the case on this show. Yeah, I would imagine. Well, I, I wonder, like, that. actually, that does bring up a good question, because I'm sure they don't want that to be the case, you know? Right. Um, they kind of just filmed it in a real musty, nostalgic-looking way, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I bet they did a lot of close-up shots and, like, avoided, you know, wide street shots and things like that as much as possible. I don't know. Like, unless they had one lot or something where they always had to transform and film it on. But I don't think that was the case, so. Yeah. 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 Damn, that was a good show. It was a good show. Very good. As we've talked about. Yeah. I would... Okay, so first of all, it's a drama? Like, what? what category is quantum leap in i know it's sort of like, it's like a fantasy drama yeah it's a drama 
Yeah, I'd say that's. It's I mean, it's almost it's not a comedy soap opera at points. Right. You know, it has comedic elements, um, especially Al. But yeah, um, yeah, and it's got it's got like existential things, you know, questions and it's stuff. Action. IMDb calls it action adventure drama, which seems to all encompass yeah. it. But but my question is, where do you rank it among action adventure drama TV shows? Um. Mm. I don't know. It's kind of in a, a sort of like a kind of a class of its own, you know, like from the 80s. If I were to say only those sh- like only that type of show from the 80s. I don't know. Beauty and the Beast and <laughs> put that right up at the top. <laughs> Not so landing. Vincent. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think it's it's pretty good. Yeah. For shows that we rewatched reruns of at 10 o'clock in the morning on summers in uh, on USA. I would put that really far up at the top. Uh, yeah, for sure. Sweet. All right, well, what do you say we take a little quantum leap of our own? I like that idea. Um, eight o'clock. It's Friday night. The moon is right. I'm going to have some fun, show you how it's done. TGIF. TGIF. Yeah. And it's, uh, February 9th, 1990. So we're sitting there watching TGIF, and Greg's like, you know, why aren't you guys playing with me and my new toys and eating cake? Yeah. He didn't care. We we probably were actually... His birthday party, if it happened on this day, which would make sense, it was a Friday, um, was probably over by now, right? He was also by five, 8 o'clock. So 8 o'clock for a five-year-old is like bedtime. My guess would be that it's like a Saturday day party, right? You think on the February 10th? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like for a five-year-old, it doesn't have to be a Friday evening party, you know. Like right. uh, for a five-year-old, I bet a Saturday or Sunday day party is a much, much brighter proposition. That's true. Yeah, you're right. So we were watching TGIF, and Greg was so, so excited for the birthday the following day for the birthday party, that he fell asleep. So it's just you and me. All right. We're gonna get back to Full House. But what okay. happened at eight? Um, all right, so we've got Family Matters season one, episode seventeen, the big fix. Um, oh, and do not adjust your your sets. It, it, even though this is episode eighteen of the podcast, it's only going to be episode seventeen of all these shows now because everything took a, a week off. In a, right. in a, and now we're back uh, to normal. Yeah. We're finally. Uh, we're back to normal, but everything's off by. Uh, one by one correct but they yeah. are all new episodes airing each of them their 17th episode of their respective season on the same night all everything you know we can sit there for four straight half hours and get new content back to back to back to back i'd say that's, that's norm- right that's normality right uh, absolutely um so family matters <laughs> family matters is uh the episode the big fix directed by richard Corell. Written by Sally Lapidus and Pamela Eels. Um, that's that's nice seeing two uh, women uh, writing yeah, writing that episode. We've commented that it happens uh, <clears throat> not not so much it seems in the writers' rooms on probably still anywhere and certainly then anywhere. But our evidence um, among TGIF shows is that it didn't happen very often. Right. Um, so in this episode, <clears throat> we got a big Urkel episode yes. now, because he he's he was only introduced four episodes ago, and I don't think he's appeared much since then. 
Um, but in this ep- episode, Urkel agrees to tutor Eddie, who is failing his algebra class, under the condition that he set him up on a date with Laura. Oh, uh, yeah. That's kind of yes. like the first Urkel episode. And, like, there was some... Yeah, some and, and then that's basically more or less a variation on that is every episode from here on out. Eddie did um, not learn his lesson, apparently. No. Yeah. Um... So Urkel holds Eddie's Prince concert tickets as collateral to ensure that his wish will come true. His day with Laura is a perfect disaster. Meanwhile, Carl makes a horrible attempt to fix a wobbly chair, and Harriet insists he buy another chair. That's a hell of a plot right there. Yeah. I bet it's a funny one, though. Reginald Vell Johnson's like, um, I think that uh, my plot is not that great this week. <laughs> 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 a couple things. One, yeah, this is a great Urkel, Urkel-centric episode. It seems like it might be the first actual Urkel-centric episode because even the one yeah. in which Urkel was introduced, he was... This is more about Laura. Yeah, he was more a device toward, yes. the, toward that end. Um, but uh, yeah, we got some great moments like the Prince concert, you know, that, yep. s- that squarely situates us. Um, I just picture Carl like getting like the the wobbly chair broke when carl was sitting on it sits on it of course the reason it breaks is because of he's fat he insists that it's a faulty chair and is going to all this trouble trying to fix something that is not faulty it's just that he broke it with his fat butt and that's why harriet is like carl would you just go get us another chair (laughs) that's not right yeah yeah, that sounds probably about right. I'm sure there's some great physical comedy in there. Based on Carl's um, weight, you know, that kind of stuff happened. Yep. <clears throat> um, Comedy's come okay. such a far away. Oh, and speaking of which, um, it hasn't. There's still many, many, many weight-based jokes, of course. Um, okay. Nine o'clock. We've got Perfect Strangers. Season five, episode 17. The episode is called Three's a Crowd, and it's... Written by Tom Devaney, of course, but directed by our man. Our main man, Joel Zwick. Our main man. Our, ma- our, main, our main guy. Our big guy. Baba Ganoush. Joel yep. Zwick. Directed like every single episode this season, I think. Zwick is just, man, is he on top of his game right now. He's killing it at the Perfect Strangers game. He is. This is, you know, 1990 is shaping up to be a pretty good year in the Zwick household, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) His, uh... It's going to be a pretty good Christmas this year (laughs) in the Zwick household. (laughs) Is that a uh, Breakfast Club kind of reference? No, not really, no. Okay. Um, (laughs) Well... In this episode, Marianne moves in with the guys after an argument with Jennifer threatens their friendship. Okay. I intentionally didn't look for a better synopsis because I wanted us to imagine, like, what might, how might this play out? What might their argument be about? Who's Marianne? <laughs> you know, all those important questions. Um. Yeah, I think that this one is like... This sentence is literally everything that happens in that episode. <laughs> so <laughs> There's nothing else. All we know about the the two stars of the show based on that sentence is that they're the guys and she moves in with them. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's, that's probably wackiness ensues. Yeah, that's pretty much the tagline for any Perfect Strangers episode. Yeah, wackiness ensues. Um, I don't remember Marianne's personality very well, but she she hooks up with Balky, right? Like, do they get together? Yeah, that's what I remember. But yeah, I don't I don't remember. I don't, I don't really remember a lot about this show. I'm picturing a honest. real um, Lucy and Andy type of relationship between those two. Yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a good way to, to to put it. I think. I yeah. think that Larry and Jennifer are more like um, Harry and Josie. And uh, Marianne and Balky are the comic relief there. You think they're like Harry and Josie? There's a lot of drama in their relationship. <laughs> nope. It ends tragically. <laughs> With uh, Jennifer getting stuck in the wooden doorknob uh, yeah. handle. No, I don't think that quite is probably true. Um, and all that was Twin Peaks stuff. So, again, you may ignore us. And again, we are thoroughly sorry that Fire Talk With Me already exists, so we couldn't do it ourselves. Okay, we can still interject little bits of our version of Fire Talk with me. Sure. All right. And, the, um, and if they continue to be like this, I think we're, we're uh, definitely proving why it's a good thing that Fire Talk with me already exists. Yes. Um, okay, what else? Uh, 9.30, just the 10 of us. Snow Job Part 2, Season 3, Episode 17. Um... The director and so, writer is interesting for this one. It's same, hey, same person, both directed and wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Based on, um, IM, I, I think IMDb, no, Wikipedia, it said the director and writer were both TBA. Yeah, so I guess... Either they never were, or that information... They're still TBA. waiting for that phone call. <laughs> yeah, where's the announcement? Yeah. I mean, that's just great. It might just be the case that whoever wrote that Wikipedia article didn't get around to adding that but i just like to picture the fact that this show is so off the rails and so close to the end that they're not even announcing the writer and director anymore they don't even really have one yeah it's just okay. the kirch all right so so this is part two to recap about part one um the girls uh, sneaked off to the Virgin Islands with Gavin and Gavin Doozler instead of going on their annual ski trip. Remember we talked about that last time? Oh, yeah. Um, Marie, Marie was told that Gavin was dying, and Gavin was told that Marie had a crush on him. So when the two realize that neither has the same intentions for their trip, they decide to pay back the three deceitful sisters by pretending to be in love. Of course... Uh, back at home, Graham and Elizabeth freak out after Sister Ethel tells them that the girls never arrived. As they would. As any parents would. I think that's a pretty yeah. pretty legit reaction. Hey, mm -hmm. your kids were supposed to show up on this trip um, to, uh, where, where was it, the mountains. And they didn't, none of them got they here. Didn't even, they didn't even show up. Yeah, that, that, that makes for a pretty dramatic phone call, I would say. Also, wouldn't you think if it's through the school, they would have, like, taken a bus and met at school or something? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. These aren't the sort of... Listen, that would be the sort of tight writing you would have expected from season one and two of Just the Ten of Us. No, that, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the kind of writing that TVA is known for. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, right. is, is TVA um, the writing partner of Lenny Rips? Maybe. Um... Speaking of Lenny Rips, I think this would be a good time for us to jump back to 8 o'clock and talk about 
a pretty great episode of television. Um, this episode of television, also known as season three, episode 17 of Full House, called 13 Candles, directed by Bill Foster, written by Ken Weisskopf, is yeah. an excellent... This, okay, let me just say, even before we recap it, this is my favorite episode of the season. Yeah, I would I would say that I would probably agree with you. It's the combination of best still, like like on rewatch, it remains the best and also most memorable, like one of the most memorable from the time, you know? Yeah, it's a memorable one for sure. Thirteen candles. We we teased the birthday earlier. So it's not just Greg's birthday today. Uh, five, that's five right. Candles in that case, but yeah. That oh, hey, that's that's cool. That DJ, I guess we can just say, has the same birthday as Greg. Sure, and she's eight years older than him. Wow. We'll go with that. Yeah. Well, let's see. Um, let's see if Candace Cameron if that tracks for her. So she was born in 1976. So she's nine years older than Greg. It's just about right. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. She uh, also. Um, did you notice at the end of this episode that the the copyright date was 1989? I didn't. Yeah. So that's weird. I don't know if that's um. Conspiracy. If this was like one that was meant to be released earlier or what, but yeah. Um. Do you think that? Yeah. When is the when is an episode copyrighted? Is it like when it's when it's put in the can or is it when it airs? I think it's when it airs. Huh. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'll say that that was a very eagle eye that you had. Oh, did you... Thank was you. it only written in Roman numerals? And did you Yeah, new Roman numerals, yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a particularly great eagle eye that you had. Good on you. Well, it's easier It's easier on uh, years that end in a zero, yeah, you know. very true. But even so, we should we should go back and double check about the other episodes. But in any case, as we're about to see, there's more than one way in which this is a quite noteworthy episode. And it starts off right away, right? Uh, yeah, it, it starts off. It starts off in a way where were you watching it, Tim, and thinking like, oh, I wonder if. Yeah, um, I was. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, but but we'll see. OK, so it's. 3.47 a.m. in DJ and Stephanie's room, right, in the cold open. Yep. Um, and then uh, DJ wakes up. I think the alarm was set for 3.47, right? Yeah. And she wakes up to the alarm. And she wakes up, and then at 20 seconds later, it's 3.48. <laughs> uh, that's how time works in this world. Um, but she, so Stephanie's like, you know, woken up by the alarm and she's really sleepy, sleepy. And um, DJ says that she was born 13 years ago at exactly 348. And Stephanie's like, you have an excellent memory. Yeah, I like that joke. That's yeah, good. And then um, DJ does a little countdown. And then when it hits 348, she goes, yes, and does the like arm pump thing. Because she's now she's like, I'm officially a teenager. Yeah, she does that. And she does the pillow person arms. <laughs> <laughs> also known as the Dougie Jones sex arms. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. That scene is so good. But um, 
and then of course Stephanie, even though despite uh, or through the haze of her sleepiness, she's still able to say, "Well, pin a rose on your nose." Yeah, that's all she's able to do. She all, all she has at that point in the middle of the night is just her lazy speech, you know. <laughs> yeah, like she didn't even have a how rude in her. No, yeah, she didn't even have a, and, and she did have one later, but that gets stolen from her. Oh, true. And she's wide awake at that point, so. Right. Yeah, different story. So, um, yeah. DJ is gonna have a party that night, and then she's like, "Stephanie, I'm a sophisticated teenager." But of course, when you have a line like that, you know it's a setup for. Something less sophisticated, right? Yeah. She's, she starts screaming, I'm 13! And waving her hands in the air and stuff. Yeah. yeah, kicking at the air. And then, of course, the button on that scene would be not only that joke about being so sophisticated, but not really, is that Stephanie then covers her face with the blanket to block out DJ's exuberance. But... Yes. And then, what do we have just before the credits? What do we have just before the credits? Our, our um, dying hope that Michelle will show up in this cold open, which she never does. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to blow my mind with like, and then Michelle's face was in the corner of the screen. Or <laughs> she like was that. there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> what if we went back and it actually was like, it was just like tucked away under one of their beds. Michelle's face was there the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Or like you see like Mary Kate in one corner and Ashley in the other, just staring like gargoyles in the bedroom. Have you ever ever heard John Oliver's? Uh, he, he always talks about his theory that he believes is true that Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen are just the same person moving back and forth really fast. I've heard him him mention that before, yeah. It's just a funny thing. Yeah, Yeah. this is our first cold open this season without Michelle. Yeah, and it kind of needs to be because this is a very DJ centric episode. She, it like you need to set up that DJ plot right there off the bat. That's true. I feel like Michelle could have been part of it without detracting from it, but um, I wonder because you really also think last episode was very very Michelle centric with the bird, you know? Okay, I'll give you that. I think that makes it's like they're just carrying their weight, you know, they're just carrying their weight. Yeah, and they probably wrote in there in the writer's room. And they're like, you know what? We don't we don't need Michelle in yeah. this one. Like we it's really time for to, a DJ episode. We focus on DJ. Like even though the cold open is often fairly irrelevant to the episode, in this case, it's it's very relevant and establishes the A slash only plot, as we'll see. And um, therefore, I think Michelle would have been too much. Yeah. You know, here's something that um, uh, my Michelle, while watching this with me, um, noted, and I had never noticed this in the intro credits before, but um, when when the lyric goes, what is it? Waiting to carry you home everywhere you look. You know, when it says carry you home. Yeah. Um, that is, that is timed up exactly with the scene in the end uh, or in the credits when they're in the backyard and Danny carries Michelle to the backyard table. True. Like, to the picnic yep. table in the backyard. So yeah, do you that's think a good point. That was intentional. It might have been intentional. If that if that was intentional, that's a little on the nose. You know, you you, you don't try to cut things that like a equals a. You know. You know when you do, when your show is Full House. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's true. Um, so then we have a, a kind of a, an unusual intro uh, shot in that it's sort of a twilight downtown San Francisco focusing on the Transamerica Pyramid, the Bay Bridge. Um, but it doesn't then go to wake up San Francisco or anywhere else. It goes to the living room, which is kind of strange. Yeah, but it's it's party central, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it, so it's that's, nighttime. I think that's the idea, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, the night might... We might be in the Tanner house, but the night is in the Tanner house as well. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Really good. Really good. Yeah. That version um, of My Prerogative is playing again. I, I guess Full House does not have a huge uh, music budget. It's the same. Yeah, you're right. Same. <laughs> it's my problem. They, they had it on file. They got a two for one special. The one that um, Stephanie was dancing to, I believe, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that's that's. Oh, there's a big big birthday party. sign in the back that says "Happy Birthday, DJ." Yep. And then DJ is wearing this like super '90s, um, like uh, Michelle pointed out to me. It looks like Rhythm Nation kind of. Um, Janet Jackson get up right like uh with these gold tassels hanging from the jacket and then like a skirt and saddle yeah. shoe type things it's, it's kind of a strange but very 90s it's very 90s outfit very very a lot nice. of the kids there are very 90s as opposed to the Gibbler 13th birthday episode last season where DJ gives her quote like the raddest hat ever <laughs> and it looks like a totally 80s hat <laughs> oh, all bedazzled and stuff what a what a different day and age that was. Different time. 13th birthday in the 80s versus 13th birthday in the 90s. <laughs> Things have changed. Things have. Um, you know who has changed uh, between last season and this season, who makes a prominent appearance in this episode? Yep. Kathy Santoni. Kathy Santoni herself. Herself. Um, and she has quite a bit of dialogue, and she's featured quite a bit in this episode. Second episode she's been in this season. Um and not only is Kathy Santoni, but one of our favorite minor Full House characters. Yeah, we've got Jake Bitterman. This is his first episode, and um, uh, Bitterman is played by Christian Guzik, who uh, I went to Chapman with. He was in my graduating class. What up, Christian? Christian, yo. Um, <laughs> I should try to get Chris. I should try to get Christian on the show and see if he can like recall his uh, his experience filming the oh show. Oh my god, that would be incredible. That would be the crown jewel. I'll see what I can do. Until until and unless Lachlan, that would be the crown jewel. <laughs> yeah, crown we'll, start, we'll, we'll start with Bitterman. We'll end up with with uh, Uncle Jay himself. Oh, and if we can get Jay Franks, then... Or Franklin, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh. What a day that'll be. So that we get uh, we get Bitterman um, when uh, he's like, Hey, Gibbler. And she goes, Hey, Bitterman. And hey, Bitterman. <laughs> And then, what a great name. I know, Bitterman. Oh, the names are on the show. Are so and even though Bitterman's only on like three episodes, but they, they reference him all the time because it's just such a fun name to say. And he's just a, Chris is just a fun looking guy. I like the mullet. He's a good, he's a good, yeah, he's a good dude. He had the mullet going and there were, that was, the yeah, mullet big game was strong with Bitterman. Um, yep. And they call each other Dweeb and Dweebet. Yeah, they do. But then Kimmy asked DJ, where's her future boyfriend, Kevin Gwynn? Yeah, which we made reference to last week because they talk about Kevin, Kathy, and someone else yeah. with a K. And this was uh, a result of that episode when Stephanie was reading DJ's diary, and uh, now it comes to light that 
We this is two, Kevin. Two of the three Ks are at this very party. Yeah. Kimmy says, do you love him and you know it? And DJ says, I do not love him. I just like him. And Kimmy says, you like him a lot. And DJ uh, likes him a lot, but only if he likes her. Because she's 13, and, you know. It's very middle school. Mm-hmm. He's wearing this, like, purple 90s sweater. Very 90s pattern, you know? Yeah. And of course, yeah. he's the dreamboat. He's the dreamboat, yeah. Shows up at the door. Right. Gives her a box of chocolates with a flower on it, and he lost his card. He, um, yeah, he said he lost uh, her DJ's... birthday invitation, right? Or no, right. he lost his card. Was that it... he was going to give that he DJ. Was give her, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, and she says, as long as you didn't lose my address. And so... She's... And he's standing there, so obviously not. Well, DJ. I think that's sort of... You know, um, you made a very good point earlier. I don't know if you want to bring up the parallel now. But even this intro very much parallels another star-crossed pair of lovers that we have met earlier this season that will be an ongoing, semi-ongoing thing. Yeah. Do you want to bring it up now? Yeah, well, I was just saying earlier that um, the, the, this DJ and Kevin relationship, it's this episode and then an episode we talked about last week, which I think is maybe like two or three episodes from now, where Kevin gets drunk and Uncle Jesse thinks that DJ is drunk. Um, but so, but what I was uh, saying is that the relationship between um, uh, DJ and Kevin kind of follows the same trajectory as the relationship between Danny and uh, what, what's Karen. her name? The Karen. Yeah, exactly. And Karen meeting Danny at the door like this and kind of making a joke about being on the way home um, parallels very much Kevin being at the door and making a joke about not losing the address. Yeah, it's it's very very similar writing. <laughs> it's almost as if they didn't really want want to write more original dialogue. Right. Yeah. Um which come on Bill Foster and Kim Weisskopf, we would never imply that you're not original. <coughs> um, right. so uh Kimmy and they're all laying it on kind of strong. Like that's another thing that's a parallel. Like Danny and Karen, everyone else kind of set them up. Um DJ and and Kevin are kind of at the whims of everyone else because Kimmy's like, you know, Kevin, you could make this the best the best birthday she's ever had. Right. Like, it, you know, it's very clear what everybody's, everybody's laying it on really thick. Yeah. And then DJ has this awesome line, very very eighties nineties funny line, which is, "You'll have to excuse Kimmy. The mall's open, but nobody's shopping." Yeah, that, that sums up Kimmy Gibbler very well. And I like it, too, because it's sort of one of those self-aware lines that's like, the, you know, at the time, the the people, teenagers shopping in the mall was like a, a trope, and they reference it quite a bit. So I don't think they gave that line to DJ because it was particularly funny, but more as a reference to that's the culture that this show is about, you know? Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah, to root you to root you in the world yeah. a little bit of the late '80s, early '90s, yeah. California scene. Yeah. Yep. All right, we cut to the kitchen. We got Danny, Stephanie, and Michelle finally, because this is the first time Michelle has appeared. Um, Stephanie uh, says that uh, the DJ doesn't isn't letting Stephanie into the party, and she says to Michelle, "Can you believe it?" And Michelle's like, "No, no," <laughs> and. Um, DJ said that Stephanie 
um, was nosy, and then she hands Michelle a camera to go take a picture of the party because she's nosy. Of course, being nosy. Yeah, Stephanie has one of those little smirks. Yep, little smirks. But that those moments that she has about Always. proving, you know, proving herself by disproving herself, kind of right. thing. Yeah. Um, and then Michelle goes in the living room. And she goes, "Hey, birthday party! Say cheese!" And everyone looks at her, and then she takes the Polaroid picture. And um, DJ is all upset about it. She's like, Michelle! And Michelle's like, thank you! And she goes back into the kitchen, hands it, hands the camera to Stephanie, and goes, I did it! Yeah. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Um, uh, then DJ comes in to complain to Danny, and Stephanie's like, all she got is a picture of the ceiling. Don't have a cow. And yeah, so she even shows the Polaroid of the ceiling. Don't have a cow. Is that... Was that a pre-Simpsons thing? Yeah, I think that was an expression that, that Bart Simpson kind of glommed onto a little bit. I wonder what the etymology is. Um, I'll look it up. Sure. Let's, uh, let's continue. So In Canada, they said, don't have a bird, remember? <laughs> they do, at least on Degrassi. Junior yeah. high. Um, I don't know. Looks like it might come from the Simpsons. Really? Yeah, on the TV show The Simpsons, Bart Simpson says, don't have a cow, man, meaning don't get all upset about it. Bart is likening an anxiety attack to giving birth to a cow. A frightening thought. Normal, normally, cows are the ones that give birth to cows, i.e. bull calves and heifer calves. Hmm. I don't know if... She, if oh, I get that. If Stephanie says it now, then I don't think Bart Simpson came up with it. I don't think so, but... Oh, no, I came... It's from, like, the 50s. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's right. But I get... Now I get it. It's like, don't have a cow means don't have a cow yeah. instead of a baby. Right. I never... Did you ever know that was the meaning of it before? No. No. No, I didn't really ever question it. Don't birth I, I always just kind of figured it was like, you know, don't have a cow. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, Bart Simpson, but Stephanie Tanner said it first. Yep. She did. Who Who said it better? <laughs> Who wore it right. better, DJ? Uh, who who wore that uh, outfit better, DJ Janet Jackson or um, Muammar Gaddafi? <laughs> yeah, I go with Gaddafi. Um, okay. Um, so then Joey and Jesse enter from downstairs, and um, then they the three of them like kind of corner DJ and they sing thirteen candles. Whoa, 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 whoa. And DJ is mortified and worried that they'll hear her out there, and she should be mortified. First of all, those aren't the lyrics. Second of all, like, just wait three years before you do that joke, you know? I mean, and what, are they going to do that every single year that she's a teenager? Yeah, come on. Come on. Come on. Um, and then uh, uh, Joey says he's going to take Stephanie to the Daffy Duck Film Festival. And so he turns toward Jesse's face, and he goes, Then we're going to go out for pizza. And he, like, does the spittle all over jesse's face and then when he sees that uh that he's spit on jesse's face he goes sorry yeah and stamos is like covering a, a laugh you know? <laughs> it's another one of those yeah where where what's the line between a stamos and a katsopolis you know right. right it's a very thin line because uh yeah he's covered in spit but joey slash dave coulier is hilarious <laughs> right <laughs> yes <laughs> He's like, I can't believe this is my job. I get paid for this. <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> to get spit on all day. You yeah. know, Stamos probably had some, some side hustles going on. He's probably okay. Yeah. 
So then uh, DJ said that she thought that they had an agreement about the, the, the guy's involvement in her party, right? Yeah. And Danny's like, and Danny's like, yes, yes, we do. You and your friends will behave responsibly and we'll stay out of your way. I'll be upstairs and uh, with Becky working on Monday's show. And then he makes a joke about like, and then I'm going to go in and show everyone your baby photos type of, type of joke. Yeah. And DJ just does that. Oh, dad. Yeah, that joke doesn't play well with that audience. Not that audience, and not this time. No. I mean, think about DJ actually for a second. Like, she's just been embarrassed slightly by Michelle going out to take a picture, and of course, she knows that it wasn't really Michelle's doing. She has her dad, her uncle, and her creepy guy that everyone thinks is her uncle, like <laughs> acting <laughs> like singing this embarrassing song loud enough for everyone to hear and her crush is like right out in the other room and she's got to worry about navigating that whole thing and she's got to worry about like all the other boy girl dynamics and are they friends with kathy santoni still i don't know she's got boobs now what, what's the deal with that like maybe she'll get another zit right like all these things are there's going a lot on going on in yeah dj's mind she doesn't have time for all this stuff right no she doesn't have time for the she baby does. pictures joke um, and Stephanie says that she wants to find out which boy DJ has a crush on, has a secret crush on. And DJ says, did you read my diary? Stephanie's like, it's not my fault. You left it taped under the sock drawer, uh, with the key under your bed and all these other yeah, like things like, where anyone could find it. And she gives her a little smirk. <laughs> a great Steph smirk moment. Good Steph smirk. Not a lot there, of yeah. Steph in this episode, but that smirk sold it right there. Yeah, you're right. Every, every scene Steph is in, in this, this episode, she's got the smirk. And she steals every scene she's always in. <laughs> she does. And then DJ says, um, forget about Kevin. And then um, as they uh, walk into the living room, Stephanie says, which one is Kevin? So either I, I might have just misremembered that when when Stephanie asked, like, who's the boy you have a secret crush on? If she used Kevin's name then or if DJ just drops the name Kevin here when she's like, forget about Kevin. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't remember that Stephanie had mentioned mentioned the name Kevin earlier, but Stephanie or uh, DJ certainly would have used the name Kevin in her diary. So I'm sure Stephanie knows that the guy in question is named Kevin, right? Right. So she does her great little blurt out, and here's a here's a fantastic Full House '80s '90s uh, device that happens. Yeah, the whole the whole family peeking in from the kitchen. And DJ's like, they just want to say hi. Yeah, and then everyone, the family's like, hi. And everyone's like, hi. And DJ's everyone's like, they were just leaving. And then they're like, bye. And everyone else is like, bye. And Stephanie says, bye, Kevin. And then Kevin waves. And then as they're as DJ's shooing them into the kitchen, Stephanie's like, that's him. <laughs> yeah. And then he, Stephanie's like, so you're Kevin Gwynn. I've read so much about you. Because she's not, not, not so playing much. this cool at all. Nope. She she doesn't, and then of course DJ tells her to get out and stay out. But um, yep. oh, and actually that's great. So DJ says, Stephanie, get out and stay out. And then Stephanie says, how? And then DJ says, rude. Okay, bye. And <laughs> she gets her into the kitchen. She doesn't even let her finish her catchphrase. Yep. <laughs> it's not. It's hey, you know what? It's not a Stephanie episode. Not. Nope. Stephanie doesn't even get the SJT music. No. All right. So um. Then uh, we cut to Michelle's room. Yeah, and very kind of, I don't know, just like a, an interesting shot of Michelle slow dancing with a 
giant Bugs Bunny doll, which is funny because, which is funny because we, yeah, um, we've often compared Michelle to Bugs Bunny on the, on the, on the podcast. So it's, it's kind of like they're referencing that aspect of her character. I think definitely. Um, and then there's this music box music playing and Michelle's like kind of la 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 like along with the music to add to the creepy yeah. factor. It's a strange moment. Yes. And even stranger, Jesse has been watching from the door. And, yeah, yeah. and he's like, okay, now this is a party. Singing, dancing, and crazy rabbits. And Michelle's like, yep. he not crazy. Yeah, and then sweet little comment comes in and you ask if Comet looks smaller than last time, which if this is 1989, maybe. Yeah, because remember, last time Comet looked to be kind of a full-grown-ish dog. This is yeah. clearly a, a, a tweener. Puppy. I would call this a tweener, you know, like in mm-hmm. between puppy and teenage dog. But certainly this dog is, is not full-grown. I would give it maybe half of a year or so, like seven yeah. months or something. And, and the dog that showed up later was definitely older than that. Mm-hmm. So right. maybe this was supposed to be earlier. Maybe. If we were to, to piece this together, is there anything in this episode that would disrupt that timeline? Or could, um, or could this be one? That well, be... I think that we could study later episodes. I think at least one other episode, DJ has a birthday. So we could look at that too. True. Yeah, that's true. And they talk about Kevin last time, but... Well, that's the thing. In the previous episode... Stephanie didn't know who Kevin was, and now clearly she would. Yeah, I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah, <laughs> probably easy to say, but hard, uh, unnecessary to parse too deeply. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then uh, Jesse tells Comet to sit, um, and he says that's a simple command that all dogs know. Um, but Comet doesn't sit, so Jesse just yells at him. And uh, Miss Michelle says that he's got to be nice to the doggies, and uh, uh, she says sit, and then he does, and then she throws him a cookie. She's like, "See, be nice." Yeah, which is true. Gotta be nice to dogs. They appreciate a firm but kind presence. Yeah, they want you to be their alpha, but not a mean master. Exactly. They don't want you to be a jerk. Oh. Um. So then Jesse gives it a try. Control. All right. So yeah. Um, Jesse's like, I'm going to dig deep into my soul and try to be nice to this pup. And he's, then he's like, hi, Comet. You're such a pretty... He's like being almost sarcastic about it. He's like, Comet, you're such a pretty dog. Comet Poo. <laughs> he calls him Comet yeah. Poo. He's like, Comet Poo. He's like, Comet Poo, try to sit, huh? Yeah. Michelle. <laughs> Michelle's got her little smirk. Her little pre-steppy smirk thing happening. Yeah, and she says, see, Comet, here's a... Here's how you do. Or, uh, Jesse says, "See, comment. Here's how you do it." And he sits on his knees and he puts his hand up. Um, and uh, Michelle says, "Very good. You get a cookie." And she puts a cookie in Jesse's mouth. And he gets really and it's a funny, funny little button for the scene. You know, that's happened to him twice now because that's when Joey put the sardine in his mouth. Right. He realized that that's the kind of comedy he thrives in. <laughs> Food to mouth comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay, we're back down in the party in the living room. Um, so Kimmy wonders why DJ is dancing with Elliot, who's some guy that's not mustache guy, but sort of like that, um, and not Kevin, because the party's almost over. Um, and DJ says that Kevin has an ass. 
And Kimmy's like, it's easy, watch. And so she goes over to Bitterman and asks him to dance. He's like, sure, why not? And then she says uh, something along the lines of like, later, I'm busy right now or something like that. Right, yeah. Which is, I love that Kimmy, despite her awkwardness and general irritable nature to everyone else, is so self-possessed you know she is like there are times where she has lower self-confidence and 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 kathy santoni famously made her feel bad about herself but um she's also just so unapologetically herself you know yeah that's right that's what's that's what's cool about kimmy gilboy and as you'll see that really gets her places in life if you go ahead and watch fuller house yeah yeah still haven't seen season uh two of that show yet it's good okay it's going to be good (laughs) <laughs> it's good so um so then kevin comes over here's some here's some you want to talk about awkward turtle here's some here's some <laughs> turtle kevin comes over and he's like this is a cool party and then dj said thanks you're uh she's like i was watching you're a good dancer and he's like uh thanks you're good too and then they're just kind of <laughs> standing there awkwardly looking at each other or like looking around you know he's like I'm gonna go get some punch. <laughs> so then he goes over and gets some punch, and Kevin, and he and he's like he's like he's like stupid. Uh, he's you like, know, damn it, Kevin. He's like, yeah, come on, Kevin, come on, Gwen, get it together. Yeah, she's right there. This is the moment you've been waiting the, for for all of this apparently like two weeks. Right. Um. And then, uh, which is that's how things work in middle school. You know, like that if you have a crush on a girl for two weeks. It might as well be two years, you know? That's true. You feel like that's just been weighing on you forever. Yeah. Um, man, I'm glad that's over. So, um, Kimmy has been watching the whole thing, and she's just like... she, You know the, the Captain Picard head, head in hand type of like facepalm meme? Yeah. That's basically yeah, what yeah. Kimmy's doing right now. Right. She goes over to Santoni. And she and she tells Kathy Santoni that Kevin and DJ are too shy to ask each other to dance. And Kathy Santoni's like, I've got a plan. And they go over to the other girls and they do the thing where they're like, I've got something. <laughs> <laughs> Santoni knows. Yeah, she's she's yeah. been there. You know, she's Santoni is the one who has the experience. And we know that because she and mustache guy. San, Santoni is the one who knocks. <laughs> she's well, I'll leave that one alone. Um. No, knockers. She's the one with the knockers. I'll just go ahead and... Ah, but then okay. again, they're in middle school. So I'm going to leave that one alone. Okay. Um. Then we're in Danny's room, and Becky is teaching Danny how to tango. Right. And this... We're just going to... Uh, spoiler here. This plot goes nowhere. Yeah. This. It, no, yeah, nowhere. Like, this is the only scene in which there's any even reference to it, other than the previous scene when they talk about being working with Becky yeah upstairs but what what's going why i mean is it just for the awkward physical comedy which is super well awkward. becky becky just got her name in the credits so they need to use becky true and they actually just like with a couple other dj episodes in the past this turns out to be a great becky episode true um but yeah so anyway there's tango and danny's like why does he's like does wake up san francisco have to have a tango segment She's like, yes. She's like, yes, Danny. You just have to have attitude. And so he does this. 
Senorita, just the sight of you makes my heart sing Babaloo. Yeah, <laughs> it is a terrible he, tango. It's like, makes my heart sing Babaloo. Yeah, and then he does this awkward tango thing. You know, he does the like, where you'd take this dance tango move, you know? Right. And then she takes the dance, and they tango for like three steps, and then he steps on her, on her foot, and she is hurt. And then he goes, sorry, too much attitude. Yeah, he's a little embarrassed. And then we have what I think is now I see as the reason why to have this scene at all. Um. Yeah. So, um, he he makes it he makes a joke that would have probably been over my head the first time I saw this. Which one? When uh, Jesse appears at the door and he says "por favor," and Danny says "el pollo loco." Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is weird. Like, I got the sense that Danny probably spoke some Spanish, but I guess kind of not. But yeah, Jesse d- does that in a very, like, smoky, dreamy, swarthy Mediterranean voice. He's like, por favor. And then, and then he and after Danny backs away, um, having said El Pollo Loco, Jesse and Becky dance. And, like, we'll just have to say the chemistry between those two is, like, off the charts. Yeah, it's it's worthy of her getting a her name on the credits. Oh yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. I mean, they they know how to dance a tango. Let's just say. Yeah, and then um, he uh, he dips her, and he goes TNA Mercy. Yeah, that's <laughs> he does. That's not bad. That's he a good Spanish. Kind of. I mean, not not enough. Any, he only spoke one. Only fifty percent of those words were Spanish, but still. <laughs> um, and then 50% Spanish, 50% catchphrase. <laughs> and 100% Franklin. And then uh, <laughs> Joey comes in. Yep. Um, yeah, I remember this line, actually. Uh, Joey looks, uh, Becky's head is backwards, and he says, you know, you have a lot of fillings. Which, uh, just, just, I don't know, kind of something rude, you know? It is, but they kind of laugh it off. It's They know yeah. it's just Joey being Joey. Yeah, they don't care. And then uh, Jesse sets himself up. He goes, how is the Daffy Duck Festival? And Joey, right next to Jesse's face, says, it was thoroughly stimulating. Spits everywhere all over him. Again. Jesse should have seen that coming. Yeah. And then a a total plot device is introduced without any plant anywhere else. It's just a real deus ex machina, right? Yeah. There is apparently a fireplace up here for some reason. And you can hear the living room through the fireplace. That only now reason. they just discovered, even though Danny lives here always, and the voices are coming loud enough that you could have heard them from the other side of the room, and that he and Becky have been in this room for quite some time. Yeah, there's a lot. So, <laughs> um, which means that they can probably hear them, you know, too, downstairs. So, I don't know. I don't, I don't buy it, but sure. Apparently they can't because there's a... They're going to be a little loud in a minute here, but um, they, so you can hear um, Kimmy, you know, kind of was telling people to gather together and Danny says, I forgot you can hear what's going on. And Becky, um, you know, she kind of uh, castigates them and says, don't spy on PJ and her friends. And Jesse's like, shh, we can't hear. Um, So as they're listening, uh, Kimmy tells Elliot to turn off the lights. And then she says, okay, who wants to spin the bottle first? Yeah. And they're like, they, they all they all say, spin the bottle! And they bump their heads on the top of the fireplace. Um, and Becky says, serves you right. It and 
They want, it does, they want to go downstairs, but Becky says, you know, she's like, this is DJ's first boy-girl party. Uh, you can't just go barging down there like a SWAT team. And Jesse says, first we think of an excuse, then we barge down like the SWAT team. And then, uh, kind of uh, apropos of nothing, but to put a button on this painful, um, if you could call it a plot, uh, Joey says, first um, I need to do something about this headache. You know, because he just hit his head on the on top of the fireplace and he's holding it. And Jesse smirks with his John Stamos smirk. His Jess smirk. And he yeah. goes, how about some aspirin? And kind of spits in Joey's face. And then he ends the scene with just this entirely smug, self-satisfied. This, this look, a look of victory upon his face. It is, a, it is a small victory. It is. But Joey is a small man, so I don't know how big <laughs> of a victory he should claim. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's that's that scene. Everything to do um, with that Daffy Duck, and everything to do with um, the Tango is now you. That's the last you've heard of it in this episode. Yeah. True. It's very strange that they. And another thing, you. This is again. We'll just kind of get tell you right now. This entire episode takes place in one day, like basically right. in one night, other than the um, cold open. The beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so then we're in the living room again, and, yeah, there's, like, this kind of elevator music version of Crazy For You, do-do-do-do-do-do, that one. It's the, it's Madonna's song. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so DJ says she's gonna get more punch, but Kimmy says she's a birthday boy and she has to stay. Uh, she's a birthday girl and she has to stay. Um, and then Kimmy spins the ketchup bottle and it lands on Bitterman. And this is like kind of a fun scene. Um, yeah, she's like, it was a practice spin. And Kathy Santoni's like, nope, you got to kiss him. And then they kiss and there are fireworks, let's say. Yeah, they kissed kind of as like, a uh, let's get this over with kind of thing. But they close their eyes. They kiss. They take a step back. They look at each other. After a couple beats, they both go, whoa, baby, at the same time. Yeah. It's it's like the first time they've ever felt that feeling. That you know? was awesome, and I totally remembered that too. Yeah, yeah, I remember that scene. Um, but yeah, the the um, Kimberman, the Bitler. I'm not sure what your mashup of Bitterman and Gibbler would be. Bitler's good, I think. All right, so Bitler uh, begins, and yeah. then um, then Kathy Santoni with her scheming busty ways um <laughs> tells uh tells kevin that he's gonna spin the bottle next and so he's really being really shy about it but he spins it and then here's where kathy santoni and kimmy's uh, little plot has paid off because kevin spins the bottle then what happens and everybody else stands up and even though the bottle doesn't land on kevin for some reason in in the world of everyone standing up it did land on kevin no, no, Kevin spins it. Everyone. I, I, uh, what I mean is everybody but DJ stands up and uh, it lands on DJ. No, it doesn't. It, it's like, th- like, I don't know, 90 degrees away from DJ. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It, it lands on DJ by, by default. By, by default. But that's exactly. the plan. That's why they've all been told, all right, you're going to stand up when Kevin spins it. We're going to let him kiss DJ. So there's no one else in the circle besides DJ. Of course, she's, she's the kissy. She's the one. And um, 
then it's a very dramatic cut to commercial. <laughs> it is, yeah. Are they going to do it? Because I think they're both standing up next to each right. other. And it's just like, wow, are they... I don't know. It's like... Yeah, is, is this happening? It makes drama out of it in, in any case, right? It does, yes. So we come back from commercial. And Kimmy's like, um, guys, you got to kiss. And then I think with the rest of the group, they're like, kiss, kiss, kiss. Yep. And DJ's like, I think they want us to kiss. And Kevin's like, yeah, they, they do want it's us to kiss. Way. And uh, so they're about to. They're definitely both going to go through with it. And then Danny barges in with popcorn and turns the lights on and, and says, well, the lights are working. And Joey comes downstairs and he's like, peanuts, popcorn programs. And he, he's throwing these like peanuts and popcorn at everybody. And of course, Joey, uh, who can't possess authentic feelings, is in a character as like a. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Oh, you remember from Dodger Stadium? Nuts! Yeah. He's like one of those guys. There was yeah, this old, old uh, vendor walking through the stands at Dodger Stadium that Mike and I saw, and he kept his thing was, Nuts! <laughs> really loud old, old man voice. Yeah. Um, um, so that's Joey's character. And then Jesse comes in the front door, and he's got like a radio announcer voice. Um with the the tape of today's no touching fast hits so his whole thing is nobody's going to touch each other when they dance and then danny quote unquote finds the ketchup bottle on the floor even though he's known it's there all along and he's like oh well found the ketchup bottle and he says something i forget the exact line but he's like i'm gonna go introduce you to a hamburger i'm gonna go find a, a hamburger for you or something find a hamburger for you. yeah yeah so um so that's good danny leaves but here's the best I think that this is the best like sitcom moment of this scene. This Jesse moment here. So yeah, Jesse has, okay. So Jesse's been playing the DJ role, not DJ Tanner, but like the disc jockey role. And he put the music on and he want, basically his goal is to get people dancing, but not touching. Right. So, um, he wants to set up the very clean version of dancing. And so he's like, who wants to dance? And then what happens? Then all the girls, literally all the girls run over and they're they're like, me, me, me. <laughs> I hope by literally you're not including DJ. Not DJ. Probably not Gibbler either because Gibbler's found love now. Yeah, that's true. I love to break her trance momentarily uh, yeah. on Jesse because, as we know, Kimmy Gibbler and, and she has quite the thing for Uncle Jess. Always, yeah. Always. Um, and so they all... And then he, they all say me, and he's like, kind of his, not with me, with the boys. <laughs> yeah. And so they're all dancing with the boys. They, they like immediately, and if only middle school dances worked like this, like all the boys and girls immediately partner up. Start dancing. Nobody's yeah. awkwardly standing on the, on the wall. <laughs> you know, nobody's like yeah. peeing their pants in the corner, hoping that uh, a girl will maybe someday ask them to dance. Like, you know, who would that happen to? Right, yeah. I'm just kidding. I never beat my pants. It's pants. fine. And so um, Jesse's like, you know, it's sort of that, that dance monitor thing. He's like going around and keeping them separate. And he's like, space is your friend. Keep, keep, right. keep space. Space is your friend. Um, And then Kevin's kind of just like, oh, geez, this is a real bummer <laughs> of a part of a party. Kevin's so he's, he's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> he leaves. And DJ blames Kimmy for this. Yeah, it's getting kind of late. I'm real tired. I'm going to go to bed. Like, thanks a lot, Kimmy, right after Kevin walks out the door. And I don't know why 
a DJ is clearly mistaken about what the cause of Kevin leaving is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then DJ and everyone's just kind of dancing like, you know, bland robots now. And so as DJ's walking into the uh, uh, kitchen, she's like, "Everybody have fun." Yeah. And then everyone dancing is like, "Thanks." <laughs> yeah. And then uh, DJ goes in the kitchen and gets mad at uh, uh, Danny, Jesse, and Joey. And Danny says they weren't trying to embarrass her. Um, DJ could have fooled me with your peanuts and the popcorn, and Uncle Jesse with the no touching music. <laughs> yeah, you know, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a direct quote. I mean, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. just kind of like, you know, pointing out the various ways in which they were very they embarrassed her, likely trying to or, or that she took it like they were trying to embarrass her. They certainly yeah. succeeded, yeah. And then Danny says, "Well, you know, if you weren't playing Spin the Bottle," and DJ then says, "What were you listening to me through the door or to us through the door?" And Joey's yeah, like, and Joey's like, no, through the fireplace. And then Jesse hits Joey as he's taking a drink. Hits him upside the head, you know, like he like he does. It's like we don't want we don't want DJ to know about that. That's we don't want DJ to know that we got a fireplace listening device now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a big secret they got to keep. Um, yeah. And then Danny's like, DJ, about these kissing games. He's trying to have his, you know, his talk, his dad moment, his serious dad. Like, all right, I have. Because their hearts are in the right place. And he's like, you know, I have right. a 13-year-old daughter now, and she's going to be doing these things. Yeah. I want to have the heart-to-heart with her. Yeah. She, yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's like, Dad, I didn't even. I wasn't even. I can't even. Thanks for ruining my birthday. I'm going to go cuddle with Piddle per- Pillow Person. That's the subtext. <laughs> and she, <laughs> as she's running upstairs, and then Becky is coming down. And Becky's like, you know, to the boys, she's like, this is a confusing time in DJ's life because she's a teenager. Yeah, and let's not forget episode two of this season where DJ kind of plays the surrogate mother for, for DJ at one point. Yeah, when Becky and DJ have their little... Um, Makeup tutorial. Yeah, and their thing with uh, later dude, later babe. <laughs> yeah, that right, yep. That's their, they have that whole thing going. Yeah. Um, so then uh, Danny says, at times like this, I really wish DJ had a mother. And then he turns to Becky and he goes, Becky, will you do me a huge favor? Yeah, and she's like, no, Danny, I won't marry you. And then he kind of has the Danny smirk and she's got the Becky smirk. And she says, but I will talk to DJ. And she goes upstairs. That's my, I don't know. That's maybe my favorite joke in the episode. Just like a yeah. sweet, small little, you know. There, yeah. It's it's not a funny joke per se, but it, there's humor in it, if that makes sense. Like Yeah, there's character stuff in yeah, it. Yeah, like it's just a good moment. Yeah. Um, and it's a good setup for that, for what's happening here. Right. Um, so then uh, after Becky goes upstairs, Jackie, Jesse's like, you know, guys, we should relax. We all played spin the bottle when we were kids. And then so he kind of sits down in his Jesse way. By the way, he's wearing these boots with like metal toes that are not like um, workman's boots, but more like those caballero metal boots, you know, or um, yeah. leather boots with like the metal uh skulls as their toes kind of thing uncle jesse does what he wants you know he's a badass i will say um he sits at the table and he's like casually spinning the ketchup bottle and he's like oh man i remember my best spin ever diane vanzant have mercy yeah and he asks the guys about their he's like how about you guys yeah and then danny and joey at the same time they both go colleen Colleen Finnegan." finnegan yeah joey's like when and danny says eighth grade and joey's like seventh grade and he pats danny's belly and walks off he saunters off like real proud of himself he's like yeah he's like 
seventh grade. <laughs> yeah. So Joey, uh, well, Danny got Joey's uh, seconds. Yes. To edit it for the for the kids. Um, yep. All right. So that's a nice little button on that scene. I like. I was reminded of um, Freda Felcher. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it turned out a little bit differently. Yep. Than it did for Lloyd Christmas and Harry. True. Harry. Harry Dunn. Dunn. So, um, all right. This is a great moment. We're upstairs in DJ's room. DJ's got... holding on to a uh, pillow person, and there's a knock on the door, and DJ says, I don't want to talk about it. And Becky, it's it's Becky, and, and she's like, DJ, it's back. And then DJ's like, what do you want? Becky says, um, can I borrow five bucks? Yeah. DJ's DJ up. opens the door. And she says, "All you can think about is borrowing money." And Becky says, "No, but I got you to open the door." I thought that Good was one, great. Becky. I liked it. Yeah, Becky's got the tricks. And then DJ starts um, sulking, though. Yeah. And, uh, and then DJ says, "There's nothing to talk about." Dad, Joey, and Jesse came barging into my party when Kevin and I were about to. Never mind. <laughs> and Becky says, "You know, DJ, whatever you say is between the two of us." And then DJ says that they played spin the bottle, uh, that they that Kimmy and the girls set up spin the bottle so that she'd kiss Kevin. Um, and she likes Kevin and she kind of wanted to kiss him, but she did also didn't want to. Yeah, because she'd never kissed anyone before. And it makes sense that that's an awkward she, environment, even regardless of having Danny and Jesse and Joey. Like, that's an awkward environment right. to kiss somebody in front of. Yes. Um, and Becky says, your first kiss is always scary. And DJ says, not for Kimmy. And Becky says, um, never go by Kimmy. <laughs> that might be the... There's a couple it, candidates for best joke in the episode. Yeah, that's, that's a that's good one. Up there. Um, that's a good laugh line. And then uh, Becky said she was so scared about her first kiss. It was a school picnic that she and Jimmy Stone had just had a uh, had one uh, three-legged race. And they went to walk down by the pond, which is hard because their legs were still tied together. And um, they went down to untie the knot. They bumped their heads. They started to, to laugh. And then the music comes on. Down, 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 down. Oh, my God, I wish. <laughs> what if one time they reached, like, um, just the Ten of Us level and they just didn't give AF anymore? Yeah. And they just did things like that? <laughs> That'd be cool. Instead of the, uh, the Full House Strings music, they just started playing, like, random 50s songs. um but uh and then and becky's like and then he kissed me and i'll never forget it and um and dj wish hopes that hers is that nice and becky says just wait for the right time with the right guy and it will be and dj says how will i know and becky says just listen to your heart and then and then she says as my good friend roxette said yeah and she goes exactly. over uh, and puts that record on yeah listen to your heart have we talked about listen to your heart yet is that on the i don't know i feel like that's on the list that that's been on the i think it's been on there yeah is that, is that a song might have even been yeah. we might have even played out at one point yeah released song. released in 1988 so it still might have been on the on the charts I'm pretty sure Maybe. it was that's a good song yeah, yeah. it's as, good as becky notes here she does um okay um, and then DJ wishes she could talk to the guys about this, and Becky says that she'll always that she'll always be there for DJ, and reminds her that they're always on her side no matter what. And then DJ thanks Becky, and because Becky's kind of on the ground, and 
um, DJ sitting up on the bed, and DJ kisses Becky on the forehead, and then she goes, kind of on the face, kind of on, on the face. What? Kind of kisses her on the face. Oh yeah, but, but like right there, right there on the lips, a little bit. <laughs> not, one of, not one of them lip kisses. No, it's not like into that kind of way, but yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> right. It's a it's a friend kiss. Yeah. It's a thank you friend. <laughs> Thank you, friend. Yeah. DJ's like, why couldn't I just do that with Kevin? Yep. Good point. Good, very good point, because Kevin is not your uncle's GF um, yet. But right. it's we're back down in the living room. And then, uh, so, Santoni's heading out the door, and so, <laughs> so is her, what I called her frumpy friend. <laughs> uh, maybe. Just wearing some frumpy 80s clothes. Yeah. Hey, it's the 90s, friend. You haven't caught up yet? No, she was look. She was going off the Roman numerals at the end of the episode. And then we have somebody who is a very rare sighting on this show again, like we've talked about. Yep. It's probably the same character that we had seen uh, several episodes ago. Right. Um. It is a, an African American young woman. Yep. Not um, on this show. It's a very white show. Seriously. It is a very. You're right. Full House is a very white show. Um, but she's kind of got this 90s uh, romper romper maybe thing going on. Like this amazing uh, flower print only in the 90s. The the 80s ended, and on January 1st, that romper that she's wearing just came into existence. Just yeah. in a in just, the store where she mm, bought it, Sears. It just appeared. It just, just like the Sears manager. Materialized out of thin air. The they say, hey, where, where are these rompers? Where does order of rompers come from? They're like, I don't know, just put them up on the mannequins. They're going out like hotcakes. Yeah. And then he's like, but this is the 90s, not the 30s. Yeah. And then they turn right. into, yeah. into Kurt Cobain. So um, yeah. Michelle is like, uh, as everyone's leaving, Michelle's like, do I have safely? And uh, now, I yep. wonder about that. Like, we've seen this happen with now Danny. We've seen it happen with Stephanie. Is there something going on about this anxiety from dying in a car accident? That's that's how the mom died, right? In a car accident. She did. A drunk driver. Yeah. yeah. So we find out later. Yeah. Is there? Do you think that there's anything in the writing or in an implication about Michelle's psychology that by wishing that they drive safely, she has some understanding, at least in retrospect, that um, you know. Yeah. It's, maybe it's possible to drive while driving. Yeah. yeah, that seems be. possible. Also, probably not. Probably just getting Mary Kate and Ashley to say something cute. Yes. Um, and then uh, Kimmy says uh, she hopes DJ isn't mad. She just wanted her birthday to be special, and she says you're my best friend. And Kim and DJ says you're one of a kind. Just a, kind of an insult, it seems like the way that she says it. Um, but it's over Kimmy's head and betterment. What is <laughs> now that I think back? This isn't a joke per se, but I think this is my favorite moment of the episode. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, Bitterman walks up and he goes, ready, babe? And Kimmy's like, wow, I'm a babe. And he hands her a purse and they walk out together. <laughs> ready, babe. The, the gumption on that kid. I love it. Oh, yeah. my God. Bitterman and the, just, just crushing it. Ready, babe. That's, oh, my God. That's right up there with one of my favorite moments of this whole series. Like, it's good this season at least just yeah <laughs> the fact that they're that that they're babe now 
They're at that level already. Oh my god. And I'm sure that Bitterman, that's just in his mind. That's just like, well, we're a thing. Yep. Wow. I, guess we're, I guess we're in love now. Uh, but you know, Bitterman um, is just nothing but confidence. Swag. Yeah, yeah. He's got he swag, is. as the kids would say. He does. Okay. okay, so we're back in the kitchen, and um, uh, Jesse is helping Becky put her jacket on. He kisses her goodnight, and then DJ comes in as Becky's leaving, and DJ asks if they need any help. Um, and Jesse says there's still two two hours left of her birthday. Go live it up. Now, here's the thing. DJ says, guys, I just, I just wanted to apologize to you for the way I acted. There's absolutely no reason DJ should be apologizing to them. Yeah, they should be, if anything. Like, what kind of guilt trip reality do they have her living <laughs> under here? Yeah, she's living in some sort of, like... Uh, dictatorship. It's like it's like the um the book and then the movie that was based on it with um Brie Larson Room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it like is. Not, not yeah. quite. Um, not not exactly. She's a lot out of the house sometimes, but um, but anyway, uh, they said, oh, you know, um, oh, she, you know, she says they didn't ruin her birthday. She was just upset over other things and. Danny asks if she wants to talk about those other things. She says, no, I feel better. And she's like, but, but I'll have plenty of things to talk about later. Implying like, you know, the ride is just beginning, right? Yeah. And she's aware exactly. of it. And yeah. Joey's like, we hope so. And he means it in a way of like, we hope we can always be there for you to talk about things. Right. But how does it come across? Um, It kind of comes off that like, oh, that's like joey's excited for her to have problems right. basically exactly. so they all jesse gives him the like oh, Joey. yeah um all right there's another knock on the door there's been a lot of knocks in this episode yep Dude. danny gets it who is it it's, it's kevin. kevin it is of course danny's like hi kevin right and he's like can i talk to dj <laughs> <laughs> danny's like all right man and uh <laughs> Danny, uh, Danny walks by DJ and he's like, DJ, DJ, it's for you. And he's got that goofy smirk and pleated pants and everything. <laughs> the whole, the whole dad, he's got a lot of big dad vibes happening a here. Lot of, a lot of dad bod and a lot of dad vibes. <laughs> a lot of Danny. Tanner. DJ's like, hi, Kevin. Kevin's like, hi. hi. <laughs> DJ just kind of stares at him and then she turns around and sees the, everybody looking, staring and Danny's like being a busybody. He's like, yep. Yeah. So Danny's like. I'll just go clean up the living room. And he turns around to go clean up the living room. And Joey continues to stand there staring <laughs> at DJ and Kevin. Yep. Finally. He He's it. like, I'll, I'll, I'll go watch him. I'll just go watch then, him. And this next bit takes a long time. Jesse's <laughs> like, I'm going to continue obedience training with Comet. And then like six minutes later, he brings Comet upstairs in a box. <laughs> Out the living room with the box. I'm, I'm gonna go with 25 seconds, probably more like right. 18. But um, but, but yeah. But the uh, but comet keeps almost falling out of the box and stuff. Yeah, it was like clearly the re the actor who played comet needed some training as well. Um, yeah, but he was just the dog was like, I didn't sign up for this box bullshit. Right, and so eventually, I think part of the joke though is, I mean, I think this happened intentionally, like Jesse. In his inability to get Comet to, to heal, right? So he's like, heal, yeah. heal. And Comet won't heal. So he just picks up the box and brings it in. Blue. Right. I think that's just somewhat of a of a minor payoff from earlier, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. Right, um, so they're gone. So, so they're gone, and then it turns out that Kevin found the birthday card that he meant to give to DJ, and he's like, "Look, I had nothing to do with the spin the bottle setup," and he 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 like probably drove drove home on his bike. Like DJ thinks I'm the worst that I did the whole spin the, the bottle latest. thing, and she thinks I'm such a lamo. Shame, my name is Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> So, but DJ's like, relax, dude. You know, I know it was Kimmy and um, she thinks we'd make the perfect couple. And Kevin's like, she can't be wrong all the time. <laughs> I love the, char- the character of Kevin that you're creating. <laughs> I don't know who he is, but I like him. <laughs> I like him a lot. Um, so DJ's like, let me walk you, let me walk you out. And then, so she walks there in the backyard and then, um, they kiss. They kiss. And Kevin's like, I'll see you. Wait, I want you to, what's he saying? <laughs> Kevin's like, see you in algebra Monday. He's got like an extra skip in his step. <laughs> yeah. He like pops with a wheelie on his bike. He's like, he's like, well, I got what I came for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. He does. He pops a wheelie as he oh, leaves minor, too. Minor wheelie, but he does. And then after he leaves, um, DJ's been waiting. And after he's gone, she does her whole yes thing. And then she sits on the sandbox. Yeah, she sits on the sandbox to reconnect with, like, her childhood. She's growing up, but she's still got to put one foot in the sandbox, you know. End credits. End credits. And also that yes is kind of like, I'm 13. You know, she's still kind of a little kid. Kids rule. Yeah. So, yeah, really good writing in this episode, I would say. Mostly. I mean... Um, if they had taken your notes and changed Kevin's character, I think it would have been perfect. <laughs> Kim Weisskopf, though. Nice, yeah, nice work. So, okay. Kevin, uh, Ronald Reagan telling Gorbachev to, care, to tear down that wall as Kevin. <laughs> okay. And... I'm not here to ruffle any feathers or anything like that, but I just want to say to um, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Tear down the wall. Um, if that's okay with you. Look, I, have no, I, I had nothing to do with this whole wall thing. <laughs> um, Kevin as F.W. de Klerk announcing that Nelson Mandela is going to be freed in two days. <laughs> So I've got I've got some good news. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. What about Kevin as Andy Rooney using uh, a, a gay slur? <laughs> no, not gonna go. Not gonna go there. Um, wait, let me just do this last thing, then we're then we'll end this whole straight. Um, right. I've believed all along that most people are born with equal intelligence, but blacks have watered down their genes. <laughs> Because the less intelligent ones are the ones that have the most children. They drop out of school early, do drugs, and get pregnant. Yes, Ke- <laughs> this, this Kevin character is not the wokest of individuals. <laughs> nice. Although I bet the real yeah. Kevin was fairly woke. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, Kevin's a cool character in this thing, and then he kind of ruins it later when he with the, the, the drunk stuff, you know? That was not very woke. No. No. Okay. Um, but it's cool. Yeah, this is a good one. This is this is at or very much toward the top of uh, episodes this season, as far as I'm concerned. 
I agree. It's a good episode. Um, I agree. Very, very, very good episode. And it's great because I actually think it works to its advantage that it only takes place in not only one day, but almost entirely one night. Other than the crime. in one plot, really, and almost in like the only subplots you can't even really call them that. You can just call them. They don't like, even have that much closure to them. Yeah, yeah, really, what they are are devices to further the a plot, right? Entirely, right? Yeah. Yep. That's good. Which they're they're good devices. That's what they do. Yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. Then. I think time to turn off the TV set there. TGIF is over. All right, fine. Boys, time to go to bed. Yep. Step into the old blue celebrity and... We're back. And we're back. And we're back. Oh. Okay. That was good. That was was fun. That was real good. Is there anything else that's uh, happening right now you'd like to make note of? No. Uh, Let's hope the Cubs keep winning and let's hope they don't go back to the White House anytime soon. There, uh, did you hear the story about the panda being returned to San Francisco? No. Um, the Red Sox released Pablo Sandoval, and the Giants apparently signed him to a minor league deal. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I don't really feel great about that. He's been a albatross for the Red Sox, and he can't really play anymore. But um, yeah. hey, he did great things in San Francisco and helped won a yeah. couple World Series. So there you go. Giants here is in the toilet already. Might as well bring back an old fan yeah. favorite. Who who badmouthed the, the the entire team as he left town, so not quite sure right. about that. But there it is. Welcome back, Pablo. Yeah, cool. All right. Um. Well then, I uh, I guess that's it. And th- this is the last episode we'll, we'll record until probably you get back from Ireland with that's mom, true. right? Our mom and I are going to Ireland uh, on a week from today. Actually. Cool. So um, probably won't record again until after that. So we'll have another kind of a summer schedule, a couple weeks off in between different episodes. Yeah, but uh, well, yeah, you'll be able to talk about that trip when you get yeah. back. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that is it for me. Uh, Tim, where can people find us? So check us out online. You can find us on Twitter at TGITJF Podcast. You can like us on Facebook. You can, of course... Go to our website, tgitgif.com, in which to download episodes or see special notes. Find a picture or so of me and Mike and the rest. Yep. And if you want to email us at tgitgif at gmail.com, what are some of the reasons why one might want to email us, Mike? If you have some stories from, uh, I don't know, February 9th, 1990, for example, um, or from any of those days growing up uh, in the 90s, um, any memories of TJF, want to share anything at all, feel free to, to reach out to us. We'll, we'll definitely bring it up on the show. Anytime, anything. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We're very selective as to what we uh, share that people have written, but if you're one of the lucky few, that's right. we will choose your email wisely and you'll earn your place into a shout out. Thank goodness it's TGIF. Into TGI, TGIF lore forever. Okay, Tim, so what's going to play us out this week? Well, just because we've talked about this song a number of times and made the joke about what this artist's name kind of sounds like, Hugh Grant, Lou Grant, etc., 
the song that's going to play us out this week, just because, why not, is Just Between You and Me by Lou Graham. All right, so Lou Graham, uh, let's hear what you got. And until uh, next time, we'll see you guys on, I guess, February 16th, 1990, um, in a few weeks. So I'm Mike Danner. I'm Tim Danner. And we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, that's all right.